Hello my friends and welcome to the Nature Zone. I'm your host Nature Chad and this is part 2 or actually part 3 of the episode with Letters from the Ruins. If you listen to the first part you'll know that we talked about many important topics about faith, about religion, about you know the philosophy of life, about having kids, about being a father. Why should we even be motivated about having kids nowadays, you know, in this time? But still, a great conversation and this one is more about nutrition, about training, about supplements about being you know feeling better elimination diet parasites amazing topics and you'll see why this episode is this long because it's filled with great information so i hope you enjoy it and i'll see you soon much love oh man you know i, I was during the talk i was getting kind of even emotional at the times because i was just thinking like how beautiful it is man the God's love and everything, you know, honestly, I, I just got emotional at some points, but anyways, let, let's talk about, just like from the last time we talked, we talked a bit about training and stuff, but tell me what's new with you, you know, in the in that, in that uh, sphere, you know, about your diet, about taking care of yourself, you know, about maybe even some holistic things about, you know, you talked about people and you talked about shwaganda and stuff like that, you know, you, about these natural things that are helping you in your you know in your just general life with energy but also in the performing in the gym performing at your job and everything yeah 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 so recently i've been getting more and more into supplements um more for purposes other than training i guess um for a long time my so the like i have extreme levels of control over my diet very good at avoiding certain foods, avoiding certain things, and also including certain things. Um, but I've mostly done that for the purposes of training, making gains, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but you know, there's other things in life which you can put diet, you know, first of all. And I've learned many, many things about diet. You know, as as time goes on, I think uh, when it comes to supplementation, I've been trying to optimize. Um, you know, various hormones and also avoid certain other hormones, of course. Um, and the way I've been doing that is basically trying to make my sleep as perfect and, and as good as possible. I think that sleep is really the center of everything. It's it's not controversial, but yeah, I agree. It should be because no one's sleeping enough. No one's sleeping properly. You're you know you're on your mobile phone before you go to bed. I'm on my mobile phone before I go to bed. Everyone is, and um, I think that's kind of unavoidable. But whether you get eight hours sleep or less is ultimately something that everybody needs to be um concerned with especially if you care about recovery in the gym but not just because about recovery in the gym also because of literally paying attention to your to your life and being capable of dealing with life itself you need to be sleeping enough um and there are certain supplements that can help with that a lot so i i you know i've always believed that magnesium is really important i've probably taken magnesium supplements the most over the last three or four years but uh I kind of forgot a few things about magnesium, which is namely that um, not all magnesium is created equal. Uh, some magnesium does not cross the blood-brain barrier, which means that it will have effects on your muscularity and your um, uh, and the, your muscle recovery. It will prevent um, spasms and it will prevent certain soreness because of the fact that you know basically you get enough um, salts in your in your bloodstream which can then fuel your muscles. And if you don't have enough salts, especially magnesium, potassium, um, and calcium, and sodium, of course, uh, you um, actually will not perform well enough. And yeah, so salts are really important, but magnesium 
doesn't just go to the muscles, it also goes to the, to the brain. And the brain needs a lot of magnesium because the brain is a very, very blood hungry um, mechanism. It needs, it needs to um, run. And so yeah, magnesium will get into the brain if you're having normal um, um, supplement like a magnesium oxide or a magnesium citrate. Um, but the problem is basically um, there are certain benefits to your brain chemistry and also it's uh, neuroprotective to have um, magnesium in your synapses essentially. Uh, and you can get that by having magnesium bisglycinate or uh, what's the other one? Uh, there's another one. It's uh, I think magnesium torate three as well. Three and eight is mm. the name, I think. That one will actually get into your blood, into your brain. And my dreams have been crazy recently. I've been sleeping so much better. I've also been trying other supplements like um, uh, tryptophan. Uh, I think the better version of that is 5-HTP because tryptophan converts quite slowly and into the blood. And also it, um, um, protein is digested before tryptophan. I basically, I've been learning a lot about a lot about other things other than fitness, which are related to health. Yeah. So yeah, I've been taking tryptophan, the valerian root I've been trying. I've um, mm. also been swapping out certain things in my tea because I want to avoid like fennel, for example, because it can be estrogenic. Mm. Um, and then there's other, other things like I've obviously been trying to increase my testosterone. I think everyone is. Um, testosterone is a mindset. Yeah, it's a mindset. <laughs> it's you know, there's a, there's a basic. I agree, brother. I agree. And, and you know, there's certain foods which I prioritize. I've been having a bit more rocket recently. Um, Americans call it um, arugula. Arugula, and yeah. Arugula is good. So I have a lot of that actually. I was avoiding green vegetables for a very long time because of fiber content, um, and also the fact that basically spinach is completely destroyed with oxygen. Uh, and not only that, but it's so easy in our circle to see so much hate about the greens you know and what is that's just not the way it works you know it's, it's just it's all marketing scheme honestly people are promoting their own thing and then try to shit on other foods but yeah go on yeah yeah i mean i know a lot about nutrition now and um i also know about pesticides and agriculture yeah. and i know that lots of greens are completely nuked with pesticides even the organic ones are you, you know they use organic pesticides yep. because of the fact that they're overground and so i do understand the desire to avoid most greens but not all greens not every as i'll say they're not created equal uh, i would say that spinach is pretty bad for the most part if you can get an organic spinach maybe one that you know is locally grown which hasn't been completely nuked with pesticides you're in a pretty good position you could have that still cook it because yeah. it's got oxalates um but there's other things like beans which i just still completely avoid um let like you know pulses i can completely avoid and there's some things which i just don't agree with i think the nutri the thing i've learned about nutrition recently is that you know there are certain foods that would agree with you and certain foods which will not agree with you well abs you absolutely just, yeah yeah, for example, beans, for me, sorry to interrupt you, beans, for example, for me and my family and everyone, like, we handle them so well. We, I don't even fart from them, you know, because I'm so yeah. well adjusted to it. And, of course, by knowing something, I will take vitamin C or oranges with uh, beans just to avoid too much iron in my blood that's not absorbed. So it's just a bit adjusting, but I can still enjoy my traditional food, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And the thing with... Um, you know the vertical diet by Stan Everding. Mm, it's, yeah. I think it's a good diet. Um, I follow it fairly closely, though I use potatoes a lot more than I use rice. Rice, yeah. Much rice. I've actually had no rice in like weeks. I had one time because I wanted to cook quickly. Mm -hmm. But I have potatoes a lot more. Um, 
but you know rice is fine but the thing is the the, the standard for doing vertical diet is great for athletes um, but you can include certain things like coffee you know it's quite an exclusive diet and then it cuts a lot of things out and i think it's important to find what agrees with you for example he doesn't have onions and garlic i, I think onions oh, and garlic are completely fine the key for kitchen <laughs> literally the center of like diet but also they have so many benefits to them especially if you so cook good. them properly and you prepare them properly and there's many vegetables which you can have which are if prepared properly will be completely fine for your diet um, and in my opinion um, the problem with the vertical diet is that it's the vertical diet whereas there are certain foods that you know, there is no like purely bad food and there are some like you know I would say that soy is a pretty purely bad food but even when protein, you know, when when managed properly, when fermented, for example, like natto, is actually a good thing. So even beans, when properly treated and properly fermented and managed properly, will actually be a good thing in your diet. Um, cabbage is not great if it's like sprayed with pesticides, but maybe sauerkraut is really good. So you know, there's examples like that. But everyone has, in theory, a, vert a vertical diet. That's what I think is a, a better solution to that, which is you try to limit the foods that you eat and only really focus on the foods that you're very good with digesting. The problem is that Stan Efferding's vertical diet will not be the pure vertical diet in metaphysics. Mm -hmm. um, there will be differences as to how you digest certain foods. Some people will not take red meat as well. I think you should, I think most people should still be taking, like having red meat because it has amazing benefits. Um, but some people will just not digest it as well. Yeah, some people will react badly to it. Yeah. It's even raw dairy. Some people react quite badly to. So there's a lot yeah. of different foods. I know. Very I know a few people. Yeah, I know a few people in our scene that their blood markers and stuff show that they should not be, for example, eating so much red meat, but they still do it because they think it's based. You know, for example, too much iron. I know a guy that has to donate blood because he has too much iron and stuff, but he refuses to stop eating. Uh, red meat and stuff like that because he thinks it's so good for him you know so like you said it's all very very uh, specific to individual yeah yeah there are certain problems with having too much red meat i've eaten a lot of red meat over the last year and it, i'm i love red meat it doesn't affect me in that way mm -hmm. i also have coffee um a lot quite you know quite frequently um which prevents me from absorbing too much iron and when i have tea that helps as well um so you need to be very careful about how much micronutrients. You know, iron is seen as a universal good. It's, it's not. I mean, actually, iron is a heavy metal which is toxic. It's just slightly, it's just pretty valuable for valuable for oxygen in the bloodstream. Um, but you know, you can have definitely have too much iron, and a lot of the time, people think that iron is the solution when they feel bad and they feel awful all the time. A lot of the time, it's salt, which is way and minerals, which are way more important than iron for for actually staying, you know, feeling good. Um, iron supplementation, you shouldn't supplement iron, you know, yeah. you should eat foods with iron. That's one that you should really, really avoid. Like mm -hmm. you're eating heavy metals, like, like though that isn't even heme iron, which is actually fine yeah. to take because heme iron will be, will not oxidate in your bloodstream as easily. You know, have you seen iron rust? That is literally what iron <laughs> does, you yeah. eat chunks of iron. And if you look at the fortified, anything that's fortified with iron, such as flowers and cereals, um, you know, you get, you crush that up, you blend it up and then you put it in water and you stir it around and you put it in a bag and you get a magnet, you will be able to get the flakes of iron out with that magnet. You will see flakes of iron. You're eating Crazy. that rusts and it does not digest it properly in your bloodstream. It's a terrible idea to have that. But yeah, you can, you know, I think that's obvious. If it's not obvious, then stop eating anything that's fortified with iron and replace it with something else that's better. But 
you know, that's not really my central point. My central point is about even with the basic assumptions of a diet like this, there are still problems with food chains which occur in the modern world, which means that even traditional diets are not perfect nowadays. Like certain, if you just eat fish because you think it's always healthy, sometimes fish is actually like polluted with microplastics. You have to be careful about where you get it. And there are many more issues other than just microplastics. You know, things that you get at the supermarket can be really bad. And you need to experiment a lot. You need to think a lot about every food that you consume. And one way of doing this is by doing elimination diets where you try to man manage your diet very well, remove one thing, see how you feel, add it back, see how you feel, um, and then make sure that was the factor and then do it with different things. And so you need to be kind of controlled and um, you can't have too much fun in this process. You know, I agree. But it's, it's important, I think, you know, to invest in your health, to know what actually agrees with you, what you really digest well and what you don't digest well. And that's an investment in your life your longevity, your, your health, and also your strength in the gym and your physical performance and your mental performance. It's, it's a massive investment you can make in yourself. Mm, I agree. And the thing that I recommend people now, for example, when dealing with some problems like acne, as I did, I did not necessarily do an elimination diet. I did go vegan, I did do vegetarian stuff, but I never really tried going an elimination diet. And it really is simple in that terms. Like, yeah, you, you just cut everything off, go to bare essentials and slowly, slowly add, see what agrees with you. And you can solve many problems with the, just this, you know, avoid so many supplements, so many medications just by eliminating. And if something doesn't agree with you, fine. It's, I mean, you can, you, that's a worthwhile sacrifice instead of dealing with some issues. For example, like both you and I with, with uh, dandruff, gluten is a problem. Oh, oh well, I can live with it, you know. I, can, I would rather have a healthy scalp and everything else than eat a piece of bread, you know. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I thought, you know, I learned a lot about fermentation probably in 2020 and 2019, and I thought, well, you know, if you ferment um, the gluten in bread by uh, sourdough, you know, creating yeah. sourdough bread then it's fine. You're, you know, you will. I know that it's not an active microbiome because it's been cooked. Um, but you know the, the gluten will be disarmed. Um, the fact is that you know you're only fermenting for a relatively short period of time, and it's not enough to disarm gluten enough. And um, when you actually consume any form of bread which has gluten in it, even if it's sourdough, um, you will get the negative effects of gluten. And gluten is not digestible by the gut. It will pass through the gut, but not all of it does, and some of it ferments in the, in the intestinal tract and has really bad effects because it will basically produce compounds that are really bad for your brain and, uh, and also uh, you know, will feed fungus in your in your gut like candida very very effective mm. because it's so digestible by fung uh, by candida uh, and so most people benefit from cutting out gluten uh, pasta and bread are the biggest things right really uh, and at the same time these things bloat you they make you feel puffy and bad a lot of the time some people are fine with bread even i'm mostly fine with bread um, but then I've noticed, oh, I've got dandruff. Like, why have I got so much dandruff? I guess um, something's wrong. I cut out gluten, dandruff went within a week. I reintroduced gluten within a month of that. Dandruff came back, mm. I got rid of gluten. I was like, okay, I've done enough things now that even if I'm eating sugar like all the time and I'm eating like sweets and chocolate, I don't get gluten, I don't get um, dandruff. Mm -hmm. But if I introduce this one thing, I do. I don't care what studies say. I don't care what science says. Science is just studying what I'm doing on a mass scale. And what I'm doing is giving me a clear and, and 
I do not have any dandruff and I've not eaten any gluten like consistently since the beginning of last year. Nice. You know, you cannot explain that to me without, you, know, you cannot explain that to me or tell me I'm wrong because mm -hmm. of the study. I, I don't care what the study says. I know more than the study. Now, literally, I know more than the study <laughs> for myself. Yeah, yeah of course. I, I saw it. Yeah, we were talking about elimination diets. Elimination diets are the core of any, because there's no diet that you can follow that will um, perfectly match everything that you, you need as a human. You have to experiment on yourself and it's kind of unfortunate in, to some extent that you can't just study a bunch of things and then know what's universally good and bad. Um, it's kind of unfortunate, but to some extent it is good because um, once you learn a lot of things about yourself and how you digest and how you react to things, and maybe your partner learns about that too, um, you will be able to give your children very, very, very good diets. Um, and then their grandchildren and you'll know what's good and bad. You're actually not just learning this for yourself, but you're for your, you know, for your progeny and, and also for your parents as well, because your parents will have a very similar reaction to certain foods that you will. Mm -hmm. So if they've worked anything out, then you should learn from them. And if you've learned anything, then you should teach your children. And, and it, this, this is great. This is great because you can realize, oh, actually, you know, I've got a lot of grandparents that died from this. Okay, and they ate a lot of that. Well, that can actually teach you a lot about you how you should eat as a young man as well. Absolutely. Um, so lots, you know, you can't just listen to the science because the science is necessarily divorced from the individual and how the individual reacts. Because yes, there are certain, there's certain mechanistic studies which are valuable. But when you go to epidemiology and you study, let's say a thousand people and how they react to X thing, what you're getting is the average reaction to X thing. And the average reaction is the reaction of hundreds of thousands of people, the mean of that. So if one person had a terrible reaction to it and another person had no reaction to it, that counts as a small reaction. And so if, you know, um, if, if most people don't react to something and then one person does, um, then it will not show up in data. It will, it will be non-statistically significant. And, and that's a massive problem. It means that we don't really learn core fundamental things about the individual's reaction via that kind of that kind of study you can only learn about the average person's average reaction across a, a huge number of people um, so you have to do a lot of work you can listen to studies you can read studies you can learn about how certain compounds are valuable or not valuable you can test it on yourself but mm -hmm. you do have to test it on yourself um, if you actually you can't just preach um, one certain food is the, the, the answer to life, even if there are certain values like eggs, I think are great. I think most people should try eggs, see how they react to them. I don't react to eggs. I have a great, great yeah. relationship with eggs. I have them every single day. Um, I have no reaction to cheese. I get any form of meat I'm completely fine with. Um, most vegetables, especially vegetables, I'm fine with. So I'm pretty close to the vertical diet. Um, and I have a good, you know, gut health as well. Um, but you know, there may be things like I get pretty bad allergies in the spring. You were obviously talking about bee pollen. Um, maybe that al that allergy is actually affected, you know, caused by something that I'm eating that I don't really know much about. Could be, could be. Maybe, maybe it's intensified. Maybe there's something I'm eating right now that if I cut out, I wouldn't get the bad symptoms that I get in the spring, even if um, bee pollen helps it, which it does. Um, I don't know that yet, and I have to do a lot of elimination stuff in certain seasons to know that. Mm -hmm. uh, but once I know that, I, I will have, you know, if my children start getting hay fever, I will know that I can re remove a certain food from their diet and they'll be completely fine. That's a that's medicine. That's better than any drug you can give my children. Exactly, exactly. It, it's an incredible medicine. 
Yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's uh, what I said before the point. Like, yeah, elimination diet is the best medicine it can save lives. For example, my family, they have a history of dia- diabetes. Diabetes, what's it, what's it called in English? Same, yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and I know to be careful with not overeating, for example. Just overeating in general can spike my blood sugar so high. And then, you know, sooner or later I can get diabetic. So I need to be careful about that, you know. And some things like peppers. My mother gets a heartburn from eating peppers mm. well, I realized same thing for me and stuff like that you know and it's the same as I said with beans we handle beans very well so we so I can eat them and and it's very kind of simple so just to add to your point like yeah look what your family is having issues with look what's digested well and at the other day I before I was like hmm, I the supplement or the food I'm eating it is good for me even though I do not feel it but nowadays I'm like, no, I actually actually have to feel if I'm doing this something right for me. Maybe it's not instant, maybe it takes a month, but still, I need to feel if something that I'm taking is actually worthwhile and doing changes. I'm, I'm not anymore like, oh, but this is good maybe for my longevity. I, I know that good, good things are actually immediately felt for your, for your well-being and performance, you know. Yeah, that's a massive problem with uh, this, whole, this whole system, is that it's very easy to tell that alcohol doesn't make you feel good because you drink alcohol and you feel bad after the next day and also you normally feel bad whilst you've had it you know you just sort of also have certain emotions that are emphasized so that you maybe feel good in the moment but you still know you're not very you don't feel very good Mm -hmm. the next day you feel awful you know that it's alcohol that did that um you know you might eat like a certain meal and you feel awful immediately that's really easy because you know but there are many many foods that have passive and small and minor effects on you and the problem is with that is that you may think that's just how you are you may currently exist in a state where you think that you're just um expressing your highest self but you don't you don't even know what other people are feeling and how they live you might you might actually feel completely lethargic and and exhausted compared to other people Mm, but because you can't physically jump into their body and feel how they feel um you won't know that and so this experimentation could literally bring you to a higher plane of existence if you know yeah. that certain foods that you're eating today are having negative effects on you. And, and the problem is that this stuff stays in your gut for days and sometimes has effects on you for weeks. And you will not know that unless you give a serious shot towards removing or adding something to your diet and feeling how it feels for a month and then also avoiding other foods. This is why... Um, you may seem crazy if you completely avoid restaurants, fast food, you avoid treats, you avoid all this stuff, but you are investing in yourself better than anyone else is. If you completely avoid those stuff and you have complete control over everything that you eat for months and years, you will know so much about your genetics, about how you react to things. You will then be able to go to a restaurant and be able to ask them yeah. to replace the seed oils in something because you know you can eat something in that restaurant that's fine you can then manage your life a lot better you just have to spend a bit of time to actually learn how to do that in the first place yeah yeah i always say like from the beginning i always said you do know you do not know how bad you feel until you start feeling good you know it's simple as that mm-hmm. beat with mental health beat with physical it's all very that's connected true. yeah like uh, only when you start making changes you will be like oh my god i cannot believe this was my normal you know so it completely changes like for me for, for example, seed oils and stuff like that, I can handle them for like a day or two, 
but if I but if I try to eat more than that, I start getting mm. inflammation. I start getting problems. For example, but one day if I'm eating like very bad food, nothing, absolutely nothing. But as soon as it starts compounding, that's when I get problems. So I realize these things. You know, I do not have to completely not live a life, but I can still feel at my baseline level that I've reached, you know? And like you said, I'm sure that I can even maybe transcend this to a whole different level if I really try, you know? So it's always, it's always, I mean, why would someone even waste their time doing this? Well, obviously, because if you feel good, you will, if you eat good, you will feel good, you will look good, you will perform good. And this is, I guess, what everyone is trying to do, right? It's, it's also, um, even if you want to live a normal life, and have a normal diet, yeah. you know, even though the word normal is only a relative term relative to all the people who have obesity mm-hmm. and terrible health complications by the age of 45 and are unable to get on the floor and climb things and raise their children and carry their children. You know, that's what normal is, by the way. <clears throat> so, you know, if you worship normality and being yeah. average, then enjoy your average life where you have an operation yeah. at the age of 60. I made the post like the one year ago. It was literally called "Are you normal?" You know, and it was yeah, completely yeah. roasting everything in the world, like what normal is. You know, mm. it completely lost meaning. And I often yeah. argue with people like close to me, but but just be normal. Like, why do I have to invent these things? Why do I have to be special? You know, just be normal. Just live a life. But man, <laughs> there's there's nothing worse, honestly, than being normal nowadays. Exactly. If you so, if you do desire to be normal. Um, it's still valuable to have information and knowledge about about yourself, and and as a result of that, you know that that information that you learn about yourself by doing this these kinds of elimination diets and experimenting with yourself and taking time to actually take seriously a certain you know certain foods and see how they react how you react to them. Um, the time that you spend on that will not disappear um, once you've tried it. It's actually an investment in your in your future life as well because mm-hmm. maybe you go through your 20s and you do have a pretty bad life and, and pretty bad diet and all those kinds of things but if you did a few experimentation diets and you actually learned what you react to you might be able to take yourself really seriously in your 30s or 40s maybe uh, i would say there's a pretty bad risk if you start getting serious about your health in your 40s but, yep. Never but having this knowledge is ultimately valuable um for for your whole life uh, you know knowing what you react to and as i said again if you want to have children, you need to know what you react badly or well to, because you're going to put your children into a diet that damages them from a young age. You, they won't be able to express their highest potential because of the fact that you've given them foods that, they, you know, that, that causes inflammation to them for years. You might give them allergies that they didn't have to have. You know, you might, um, you know, you might uh, lower their IQ. You could literally do that because you don't know what you react well to. And, you know, you obviously, ideally, you would have been raised with a perfect diet, but you didn't know it and your parents didn't know it. They followed the standard whatever diet of your yeah. country. And um, that's that's a terrible tragedy that you would then subject your children to that because you didn't have it. But, you know, I think that knowing as much as you possibly can about how you, how you eat, how you need to be eating for yourself, is invaluable information for your f- future as well as yourself. Uh, even if you don't take yourself seriously and you want to damage and kill yourself by the yeah. Sick. Well, I feel Obesity. like my yeah, my family, for example, for my horrible acne. You know, I could I feel like it could be a lot more prevented 
if they knew what was going on or how they react to certain things, you know, because this is all genetic and hormonal, you could say, you know, but still there are some things that inflame me. And I know this obviously from experience, you know, eating a lot of processed meats, for example, salami and stuff like that, that gets me horribly inflamed, you know, but obviously no no blaming it happens but it happened what happened but it's up to you it's up to us to fix this for the next generations you know yeah i think there's another thing which is that people don't really realize how much you can do with diet for example how puffy your face is that's something that you you know if you have a puffy face and you feel uncomfortable in your face and you remember yourself having a more slim and tight face in the past mm -hmm. that may actually be a diet thing and even if you get lean and your face is still a bit puffy, that could be a diet thing. More more than just the calories you're eating. This is why if it fits your macros is so cringe. Oh. Because um, if you just care about your macros and yeah, you technically get lean, you could still have a fat, chubby, puffy face and feel uncomfortable. You could still have like you should could still be getting acne. You could you'd actually be really unhealthy whilst being still lean. Oh man, I you could get terrible yeah. hormone management. And um there's more than just face puffiness as well. There's how red your eyes are. There's how how your hair looks. You know how how oily or, or dry is your hair that can be affected by mm -hmm. diet. There's you know redness of skin. You can get rosacea. Um, that could be an inflammation reaction that you get. Yeah. Um, you could literally get injured in the gym more because of the fact that you have inflammation and you've not like managed your diet properly. You could get arthritis later in your age. Uh, you know you could. Um, there's so many different things that you can change regardless of whether you're lean or you're fat, you know, or, or your average weight. You can change so many things about how you look and feel through your diet and the foods yeah. that you eat. And it's extremely important to take this seriously because, you know, you may, you may be able to make yourself look and feel better than you could possibly imagine. And it's not just a, a purely mental expression of how you feel. It's literally how you look as well. And, and if you want to look better then. You know, yeah. you should take your diet seriously in, in more ways than just getting lean. Yeah, well, the thing for me, for example, is my brother and stuff that struggle with this is that they, they we would have um, pronunciated like gut. Like, even though abs are there, they would still have a gut. And I realized mm -hmm. this is from uh, eating too much carbs or in general, like pasta and stuff that like just gets you puffed up, you know? And, and beer. And I don't know if they have beer, but beer is massively. Um, yeah, they don't, but, but I agree. Gut. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, yeah, I was like, why do I, why, I, I was at the one point in my life, I was constantly having to keep my gut, you know, abs in, sucked in, so I do not have a gut because I was like lean, but still <laughs> my shirt, like when I was standing up, I would have more gut than my chest. So it was, uh, yeah. it, it was very like, I was self-conscious of it, but yeah, simple fixes uh, helped me a lot. But mm. let's continue what uh, next time well all right thomas so you talked a bit about on your stories about uh, having allergies and that you found the perfect solution you mentioned it a bit in this episode you know how bee pollen helped you a lot but i think you wish to our listeners go deeper into this topic because i think you found great great benefits from it uh, other than the allergies right yeah it's it's weird like um i think in these spheres right you you become so obsessed with certain new uh forms of nutrition supplementation uh, esoteric like cures and stuff like that <clears throat> that you sometimes come across like secret cures that no one's talking about um which it's quite absurd because this is a widely available product which you could get in most cities in most towns you could find this somewhere 
because you know every beekeeper makes it and keeps it it's it's you know widely available you can find it on the internet and it's cheap it's not expensive it's not some kind of rare you know good um but if you have hay fever and you go through the medical system and you have terrible you know relationship you have a terrible relationship with pollen um for years in your life i i developed hay fever when i was like eight and it's been the worst hay fever of anyone i know um and brag about that it's not something i you know, <laughs> feel pride about it's just you know i've had hay fever you know what 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 one could call a hay fever attack where i'm walking through like a very pollinated forest you know in this in later spring early summer normally june it happens and it's so intense that my eyes i just can't use my eyes i have to it basically takes me fully out of action um for about a week a year but for the, for about 10 20 weeks 10 15 weeks a year i'd say 10 15 i am normally um feeling awful constantly blowing my nose constantly having awful reactions sneezing nosebleeds constant nosebleeds the other day i had a nosebleed actually even with pollen i had a terrible terrible nosebleed because what happens is the membrane between the blood vessel and the nose thins and it becomes much easier if you're sneezing a lot and you're generating a lot of pressure through your nose you can just you can just uh burst that vessel very easily and get a long nosebleed you know we're talking 10 15 minutes i had to train anyway because i love training but i was lightheaded whilst training it wasn't very fun i just did an arm day as a result of that but sort of coming back to this point um this is a widely available product that you can get and doesn't cure hay fever but it, it basically is a form of immune immunotherapy so many many different things you can become resistant to if you have an autoimmune disease by microdosing the thing that you're you know resisting or fighting against your body perceives pollen if you have hay fever as a threat as some kind of threat it's kind of a glitch in your immune system but you can't teach your immune system because it's an inbuilt thing what you can do is expose yourself to minor amounts of pollen and bees basically pick up you know thousands and thousands of samples of pollen from huge regions of the world so if you have a fairly local one and when i say local i mean within the within a few countries of you because pollen isn't that yeah. it, it's about the climate really so you know the one i get is from poland because i know a beekeeper who is based in where i am in the south of the uk um, but he also has um, um other apiaries in poland and he gets a lot of bee pollen from there and ships it over um so i get it from there and I have a, a quarter teaspoon to a half teaspoon, so not much every day. It's very cheap. It costs about eight pounds in my currency for half a kilo, four hundred grams or so, um, so about a pound. And Thank you. it will last. It will last a year if I use it every day. Um, you know, it's it's just over a gram, maybe two grams, and so maybe it'll last like eight months or something like that. Is is I don't need it for eight months. I only really need it from the beginning of hay fever season to midsummer around July, when my hay fever stops. And what it will do is it will microdose and it will um, basically teach me basic immunity to hay fever. I would say that my hay fever symptoms reduce. You know, today would be a really bad day for me, and I'm only sne- uh, sniffing very slightly. I've not sneezed mm-hmm. today. Uh, so I'd say it's about a 70% to 80% reduction in hay fever symptoms. That being said, the last week or so since I really started microdosing it properly, I've had zero, I'd say maybe 5% hay fever symptoms. It's insane. Like, I, I know walking through a field, I'd be like, wow, if I hadn't taken pollen today, I would feel awful. 
There's another thing I'd add to this whilst I'm on this sort of short tirade, um, which is um, that you, you don't just have hay fever and suffer. You have hay fever, you go to a doctor and they give you hay fever tablets or they tell you to buy them. And you take those tablets, which say non-drowsy on them. And then for three months of the year, you feel low energy, exhausted. They reduce your testosterone, this is proven. And they make you feel terrible, okay? And you're like, well, they're non-drowsy, so it must be something else. What is it? I don't know, uh, maybe it's hay fever. So you associate hay fever with reducing your vitality and making you feel awful because medicine always tends to do this. It gives you secondary symptoms that you don't actively notice for long periods of time and you find it hard to associate. And then you think it's something else. You think it's just how how life is. But the fact is, I'm not taking any hay fever tablets so far this year and I hope to take none because of this pollen. Um, and I just feel amazing. Last year, I remember taking it for two weeks, uh, hay fever tablets, and it ruined my life at work. I was just oh, awful energy, awful energy all the time. And so I just stopped taking them, so I'm not going to take anything. And thankfully, I then came across hay fever, uh, sorry, not hay fever, pollen, bee pollen, and it saved my summer, to be honest. And it, this year, um, I have high confidence that I'll be fine for the rest of the spring, but this so far, I would have had terrible, terrible hay fever symptoms from mid-April, now it's early May, and I'm completely fine. The, the real challenge for me, and something I'll report back on on my Instagram, uh, is early June, because early June is the worst time of year for me every single year. I'm completely out of action. I'm unable to function. And unfortunately, I didn't get to test it last year. I only really found it in late June, um, and it did help a ton. It was, as I said, 70-80% reduction. But let's see what happens in early June this year, and uh, that will be a really, really good testing moment for me. Regardless, I'm 100% confident that people, and it's amazing, aside from all the other benefits, which I haven't even began talking about. Yeah, like uh, I get a lot of, the other day I posted on my story that I literally have a personal forest in my garden, you know, that I love it. So many people are like, yeah, you like spring, but allergies, but allergies. There, there are so many people that are actually suffering with these things, you know, so I think this will be very useful for them to try. And I know that a few like rare instances of people actually get worse symptoms like 1% get worse symptoms when they take bee pollen but the uh, majority of them actually will benefit from it so you sh they should definitely try and actually now that you said it I think my, my girlfriend sometimes takes these tablets obviously the testosterone is not that important to her but still I think I think I should get her on bee pollen as well so let's just so energy but energy exactly exactly so I will just I will try it and I will report back as well I wonder how she will respond to it but what are the other benefits that bee pollen because I think it's just a great supplement in general I took it when I was recovering from my long covid you could say and I, I took so many things that I do not know necessarily what helped, but I'm sure that it did help me a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, just on that point you said about um, people feeling worse, if you have an allergy to bees, um, you should not take bee pollen because bee pollen contains not just pollen, but also everything that bees use to stick it together, which are biological compounds, which yep. are active in bees. So technically you're consuming parts of a bee when you consume it, not like the body of a bee, but um, functionally it's it's parts of a bee. Uh, and so as a result of that, if you are allergic to bees, uh, do avoid bee pollen or at least um, talk to somebody who's a professional or even a um, um, uh, somebody who's a uh, beekeeper because they actually will know much more about this than doctors, by the way. Um, they're actually an expert. The, you know, If you've read a bunch of textbooks, about a whole bunch of different medical fields and become a professional doctor 
you probably don't know much about bee pollen because it's not like a act, it's not very actively studied in the medical community. It's not used as a medicine. You'll have studied different medical compounds which are used by pharmaceutical companies. You know that's what you'll know about. So the actual experts are the people who produce this stuff and use it every single day and produce and live with it. But that's the people who actually. Expert. I'll just add um, on yeah, that so, uh, this, where I, I bought it from like this old lady and she has a yeah, label yeah. on it and it literally says it, it cures physical, mental and spiritual problems. It's like, <laughs> like it is good for everything, for vitality. I was laughing so hard and I'm like, she knows, she knows. <laughs> Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the um, source. It, re it was revealed to me in the dream. But, um, <laughs> It's actually true. Like, uh, so yeah, that's that's just what I'd say. When I take bee pollen, um, I actually do get a small reaction to it if I haven't left it in, steeped it in lemon juice for long enough, um, because I'm allergic to pollen. So it's I'm allergic to this thing that I'm consuming. But if you um, steep it in uh, lemon juice and water for long enough, I'd say about six to eight hours, um, you'll be able to digest it very easily and it will go through you very easily. If you don't do that, I only did it for two hours because I really wanted to take it before I went outside yesterday. Um, yeah, like it's quite intense and my throat slightly, slightly closes up. It's not enough to be a dangerous thing, but yeah, do leave it in the lemon juice for a long time. But then moving on to the other benefits, um, Bipolon has 200, over 250 active compounds. Now that's so many that it's very, very difficult to study. Um, and you, because you know, you're not just studying 250 active compounds, which may have studies in other areas as well. You're also studying the interrelationship between those different active compounds, how they work together. And is there synergy? Is there, um, you know, are there problems that sort of come across? Is it, is it discordant? You know, what, what, what do we know? What, what we do know is um, a ton of anecdotal evidence, some studies on some of the compounds. Um, and, you know, anecdotal evidence is valuable. Um, but not just saying, not just as, you know, the problem with when people say anecdotal evidence is what they say, what they think it is, is I took this and I felt great. That's not anecdotal evidence. That's the, that's the first level of anecdotal evidence, which says I should consider this. If a thousand people, all who have a severe condition, take something, which in a, in a small dose, and it prevents their condition, they then take that out of their diet. And then it, you know, their condition comes back and then they add it back to their diet multiple times and the same thing happens. Um, that's still anecdotal evidence if even a thousand people said it, even if it's not in a formal study. That is when we're actually talking about a serious um, effect, which then could be studied, sure, but we know enough to know that it's valuable before we need to study it. Yeah. We don't need to study it to know. And the 250 active compounds, um, we're talking about most people feel more energetic when they're having bee pollen. There's a there's there's um a lot of antimicrobial, antifungal effects that it has. So it can be really good for candida overgrowth. This is well studied actually. Um, I've linked a few studies in my uh, stories. You can find that in my highlight, by the way, on my health highlight. Now uh, put that there. The funny um, thing about your highlights is that everything is great, but you have two du dupl duplicated cat highlights. That's how I much you hate cats. <laughs> yeah. I removed that, but to be fair, I might put it back because I do. I do want yeah, people to read it. That'll be perfect. Twice. That'll be the perfect meme for your uh, page. But go on. Yeah, I think I should actually. I should put it down as just the sole one is the cat one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've got it on my highlights. I'm just opening them up now. I've got a lot of health highlights actually on this uh, on this thing. So you have to go quite yeah. far through. Um, but regardless, um, there's just so many benefits it has. I would say that. If you're looking for 
basically like a sort of cure-all for many, many conditions. It could even help with illness because it's so anti-inflammatory. Um, it would be a good thing to take even if you don't have hay fever because it's so cheap. Now, if you don't have hay fever, you don't need to be taking it every day or every two days. I would consider um, doing one of these concoctions where you get a cup, you cover the cup after you put in quarter teaspoon or half teaspoon of um, bee pollen, add some lemon juice, add some water, cover it over with like cling film or something, leave it in just a cupboard for like a day or so. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe like you do it in the morning and then you uh, open it up in the evening, you drink it, do that twice a week, three times max, and it will have huge benefits for you outside of just um, hay fever if you have that. You know, it can actually help with um, a lot of different conditions, such as just general inflammation, which almost everybody has, by the way, because if you have any form of trans fats, those trans fats will remain in your system for something like 60 days um, active, yeah, they say. and it will take your, it will take about 60 days for your body to actually tame that trans fat and, and dispose of it and neutralize it. Um, so almost everyone has a form of trans, you know, it has a form of um, inflammation within their body. You know, normally it comes up in the cheeks, in the redness of the cheeks or in the puffiness of the face, as we were talking about uh, in the earlier parts of the podcast. Um, it could even be things... is very very common it, in the it got cut off it got cut off man oh sorry i was talking about yeah you, was talking the about last was, yeah sorry the last part was it could even be things like and then it cut off so you can just continue from there yeah it could even be forms of um um you know like redness of the face puffiness of the face as we were talking about yesterday many different forms that we we don't even um recognize day to day um the other thing i was going to say is the fungal overgrowth well the western diet effectively optimizes fungal overgrowth if you want to increase the amount of fungus in your system, you eat, well, first of all, you destroy your gut microbiome so that the um, it's like a blank slate for any compound, any um, any microbe that gets into your, uh, any fungus that gets into your system will be able to regrow itself as fast as possible because you have, you know, there's, it's like a blank slate of just free food whenever you, whenever you eat anything. Anything in your intestines will just be free food for fungus. Um, and what will then happen is since most, um, since every single um, uh, fermented food is is pasteurized, uh, and every single food is pasteurized, the only forms of um, food that we eat will, um, will will be fungal. You know, will, will cause more fungal overgrowth. Yeah. So there's no there's no good bacteria in your system if you're eating a normal Western diet. Then you're having pesticides. You're launching, you're just destroying your gut lining at every single moment. And then you're eating a bunch of carbs and sugars, which are ultra processed and like mashed into a pulp and then sugar is added and then they're deep fried. You're basically like, uh, you know, you're, 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 as I said, you're optimizing for fungal overgrowth. And that's what most people will have. Um, and this is what causes dandruff to some extent as well. Um, gluten can also increase this as well. There's so many different problems with um, fungus in the Western diet, uh, which has terrible effects. It's also the smell, you know, if you smell bad, just naturally, there's normal, normally a fungal overgrowth that causes that as well. There's many, many different negative effects that can come from that. So yeah, I'd, uh, I'd say, um, you know, uh, the, the, I wouldn't say it's the first step is uh, bee pollen, but bee pollen is massively valuable in that. It's been proven to uh, kill candida in vitro studies and also basic human studies have been done on this as well. 
so yeah, I recommend it. I, I think it's a, it's a great compound for just general inflammation, uh, general life as well. And uh, some people report, you know, this is more of the anecdotal sphere that I don't necessarily, I can't really vouch for. Um, but I have heard reports of people feeling more energy when they take it. Um, there have been some studies which uh, studied testosterone and saw that actually um, it reduces the aromatase enzyme which aromatizes testosterone into estrogen. So it will actually increase your free testosterone by default by reducing the amount of testosterone you turn into estrogen. And in compound with that, because it's reduced estrogen, um, there'll be a higher testosterone to estrogen ratio, which is um, very valuable uh, if you have certain problems with converting too much, which can happen if you're slightly, uh, have slightly higher body fat. Um, and yeah, you'll just have a higher testosterone overall. Now the amount hasn't been studied yet, but that's an interesting note. It's just an extra thing. So yeah, there's a, a series of benefits which uh, are great, but also, as I said, 250 active compounds. That is uh, more things than you can possibly imagine, which are almost all going to be good things. Mm, absolutely. And I think both you and I should experiment next up with maybe pine pollen, you know, the way they, uh, because I heard that it's literally like especially for testosterone and stuff like that that it's greater than bee pollen and stuff like that so i definitely i definitely on the lookout for that but i was wondering i actually remember talking to you a while back ago have you managed to try shilajit the from the himalayas yeah yeah i've had um i've had shilajit uh i've had two tubs of it which i've gone through so uh yeah i used it last year i didn't really perceive anything mm -hmm. um but I know that it can be good for heavy metals and it can be good for testosterone and vitality and energy. Some of it's marketing, but I do think that it does have, it's got these mineral compounds that you just don't get from your diet anymore. So yeah, I, yeah, I quite yeah. enjoy it. I actually enjoy the flavor mm -hmm. of Shilajit. I found it really delicious to have, like, <laughs> just literally just eat the thing. Um, well, they say if, you, yeah. if it's delicious, then it's probably not the right uh, Shilajit. They say that. <laughs> No, no, sorry, it tastes awful, but yeah, like yeah. I enjoy the oh, taste. It's like it's like when you first have black coffee and you're like, this is disgusting, but it's kind of like a nice bitterness that you quite yeah, like. Yeah. I like you get it the same too. with like dark chocolate. Like, yeah, you ever had like Marmite? Like Marmite I haven't, but tastes. I imagine it tastes like this. I, I was like, I'm sure that it tastes similar to this. Yeah, yeah, it's like darker and more bitter, disgusting Marmite. But I, <laughs> what I'm saying is I like that taste. It tastes really nice to me. I'm not saying that um, it tastes like sugar or something like that. No, it's, it's awful, yeah. but it's like a nice awful. I think I think it's an acquired taste is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think the Shilajit, I mean, I promote it and stuff like that. I feel like the people that really benefit from it the most are the people that are more nutritionally deprived, you know, that more they have, that are lacking micronutrients. And especially, you know, in this world where there's no real soil, you know, there's no real way to get those trace minerals. So I think that it is the best for that, for those people. And especially as you grow older, you get more and more deficient. Your body runs through these stores of these minerals. So, you know, your, your nails start getting more brittle, your hair starts falling out. And that's why a lot of people actually experience miraculous things with it, you know, and some less. But it's still very healthy, you know, for, like you said, heavy metal. Heavy metal, um, for example, when you're cutting, a lot of people don't know this. Your, your, the heavy metals are stored in your fat and when you're burning a lot of fat you're actually all those metal is going through your system and you can poison yourself like this so using shilajit during a cut is actually very something that I recommend a lot and also shilajit this is this is newer studies and this is something that 
although we said like if you don't feel it then maybe you probably shouldn't feel uh, take it but it says that it protects against radiation which is something that uh, is very new still very unresearched we don't know how much it affects us you know to have all of these signals around our bodies but yeah, yeah the, the studies are slowly coming and it's seen you know how actually it ruins our mitochondria function so it seems that that is the future you know that is the way we need to optimize things but that's a completely other topic honestly there are people that talk for hours about mitochondria about grounding and stuff like that we can leave that for other people but another supplement that i think both you and i were taking recently is ashwagandha and on i will tell my style story first because uh, I was dealing, I took ashwagandha like a few years ago, it was literally a meme. I I found it almost through memes because people were like, yeah, ashwagandha increased testosterone, you know, stuff like that. Um, but a lot of people obviously taking it before, like, I think from India or something like that, right? It means like sweat of a horse or smell of a horse, something like that is the... Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, uh, it's Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah and basically i was giving it the shot but i never felt anything like i can be honest like for years i was taking it for a month or something never felt a difference only that i hated my life because i drank the bitter tea but yeah. but uh, recently i started i decided to mega dose it i was like let me take three times what they say recommended because i think like um they just played safe you know so i was like three times a dose and okay didn't feel nothing didn't feel nothing but obviously this is because it takes a while for your body to start reacting to it it is an ad- adaptogenic herb which means you know it adapts to your body pretty much you know to yours to yourself it's not like it has a specific effect uh, that will be felt immediately but basically i was taking it and what i noticed and this is very subtle but now that i think about it um i felt just less phased by life it is simple as that. I felt less when, when there was something, when there were some events that were happening, because that's why I started taking it, you know, there were some stresses in my life. I just felt less phased. And this is what I expected. And that's this is why I was prepared, prepared for it, because I was afraid of the void before, you know. They say that you start feeling nothing. I was afraid of this, but this time I was like, I want that. I want that and I will be ready for it. So I took it, I took it and then yes, that is exactly what I experienced. So I was not feeling anything <laughs> and, and that's and that I liked it for this specific period of time. Like I, when I was happy, like when my girl you know, gave, gave me a gift for my birthday, stuff like that, I was like, thank you, thank you very much, you know, but I could not express my gratitude properly. It's just that that part of me was just not working and I felt bad for it, but still I, I even though I felt bad, it was not showing. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, yeah, yeah, but now that some problems have passed, I stopped taking it. But what is interesting is that the mindset kind of remained. I'm I guess I kind of am still not stressed about things, but again I can express my emotions easily. So I guess it almost kind of taught me a bit about uh, how to handle stress a bit better, you know? Uh, yeah, I've taken ashwagandha over two distinct phases of time. One was where I didn't know anything about uh, the, like this stress, this like this, you know, this kind of bubble wrap. Yeah, I call it bubble wrap because 
I don't know, I've never taken SSRIs, like uh, depression pills, you know, I never will, but um, I know people who have, and they kind of describe it as, as being like two or three layers removed from the world, like they're kind of distant from it. Okay. And that's the exact, it's the perfect description for the experience that many people have on ashwagandha, which is like your cortisol is so much lower and you also just don't really feel stuff. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually know anything about ashwagandha in that way. I just wanted to get testosterone. So I, I, I actually had a kilo of the powder stuff, um, organic stuff, um, which I've added to tea in like quite large doses um, over two distinct periods of time. One was probably like five months long until I stopped it. And I felt, you know, I, I had, I felt the effects of it. And um, I also, the problem is, I realized this before going into it more. I, I heard about the testosterone, I took it, and then I began experiencing ashwagandha. And then I realized after a few months, like, wow, like my energy is just kind of lower. I, mm. I don't really have the drive that I had, and I'm not really feeling very motivated in life. And I remember hearing like really stressful moments had happened, and I was like completely unfazed. And yeah, at that point, I realized that. And then I saw some meme with them. Um, um, a, li a guy who's lifting and he does his um, first 100 kilo 225 bench, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like when the bro, when the gym bros on ashwagandha, and like you know he gets his bench and then he like stands up and they're like, well done, bro, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's, good. <laughs> it's like wow, that's really good. That's like I didn't even realize that that people would experience this, but then I read more about it and I heard that many people have had SSRI SSRI like uh, symptoms from ashwagandha where they were getting like. They just felt completely distant from the world it's like it didn't make you feel bad but it also didn't make you feel very good mm. a lot of the time and that's when i really realized oh wait this supplement isn't a long-term usage kind of thing unless you're having chronic stress issues and if you are having chronic stress issues first of all you need to try to mitigate those things but secondary uh you need to pay a little bit more attention to what supplements you're taking and ashwagandha can help um the second time i took it was actually about two months ago i was just going through a stressful time with work with you know relationships with uh, various stress and uh, also not sleeping or, or you know when i was going to bed i was twitching quite a lot which was not very optimal uh, and so i was i was taking this and it was helping a lot um, and it helped me with sleep i would say it's about a one and a half month period where i was taking it and it was very um useful for that time but that's really where i think it it's it shines ashwagandha is it's really a use case it's a tool in the toolkit exactly. you want to have it in your cupboard not take it every day you do not want to have this every single day because you will lose the the benefits of ashwagandha if you take it every day it's a supplement which should be taken for one or two month periods of extreme high stress i have a friend um who i was actually talking with yesterday and he discovered ashwagandha um and i said do you know about the effects and he was like yeah um but he's a policeman mm. and his daily job is constant into you know like basically having fights with criminals dealing with murderers dealing with rapists going into houses breaking into houses that kind of stuff like you know doing in intense stressful things and yeah ashwagandha is amazing for him because he he has the drive he needs because he's got a job that does that but he needs to reduce those you know peak levels of stress and that can really help him uh, and you know, yeah. um, I know we're we're on a Zoom call, which we'll edit a moment, so we can uh, uh, jump on a new one. But I also wanted to add, um, you know, that's where I think it shines. If you're um, about to have a child, I think I think the three win three month window around, um, you know, the month before that you have the child and the two months after, 
that's a really good time to have an ashwagandha. I think that's an understudied benefit, which a lot of people could get because you have huge levels of prolactin increase when you uh, have a child and it can make you lose your hair. You can just age like four years in a single couple months. And uh, the benefits of ashwagandha in this is that you have the drive and the testosterone that you need, but you don't have um, the, the stress management during that time. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, slightly reducing your stress uh, is a really good idea in this case. So I would say that ashwagandha is amazing for, um, yeah, just for chronic stress periods of time like that or work, something like that, you know? I agree, I agree. And the, when, the, when I make, make the new meeting, I will actually add a point that is very interesting what you said about even though it increases the testosterone, you can lose the drive, which is not go it doesn't go together you know but it goes that in depth in the emotional side of our human self you know so let me just make the new meeting so yeah like i said you can have higher testosterone for example from ashwagandha but you can have lower drive and that that goes into our psychology because we are emotional driven driven beings you know things that make us maybe happy or excited or thrilled that's what gets us to do things you know and that's why even that you then you have a lower testosterone for example a sense of duty of responsibility can drive you to do great things so this is very interesting you know and that's where a lot of people get it wrong they think that in just increasing their testosterone they will automatically become this uh, higher value man when in reality it is what you do that makes you higher value man and what you do what makes you feel like a higher value man so that's actually a very valid interesting point and I, of course what i also mentioned that video that i made a month ago biological things are very important and they are a good foundation to everything that you do but see how this works you know trying to just optimize everything is not always the correct option yeah very true i think uh yeah you said it you know testosterone is a mindset i like that and i think it's true I think that just trying to increase these numbers um, is, is sort of the wrong way to go about it. I think that uh, testosterone is actually a lifestyle. And once you have that lifestyle in place, then you can start to increase these numbers as well. And it may help you. It's, it's not, you know, taking one of the problems with supplementation is that it's, it's I remember talking to one of my friends and I was like, he was like, I've been feeling really low drive lately. And I gave him a whole series of recommendations of, as to what to do, how to live, how to eat, how to supplement. But I said, the most important thing is how you live. The second thing is how you eat. And then the third thing is going to be how you supplement. And the first thing he jumps on is like, yeah, can you send me links to these supplements? You know, every people, every person that uh, talks yeah, to me yeah. is the same, man. It's so much more sexy to buy a bunch of pills and take them every day and be like, yeah, we're done. No, like supplements are great. Um, but I think the problem with social media is that we just, you know, this like the whole market is built around supplementation because they are easily storable, easily produced, um, you know, chemical compounds that you can just take and then feel like you've done something, uh, you know, that, and then we overhype them way too much. They are valuable. I think that some supplements are really good to have and to, you should be experimenting with supplements over time. Um, the problem is that, you know, then they're just not chronically going to save your life or help you. They might help 
increase some numbers, especially if you are driven, if you are training very frequently and you need a bit more recovery, that's when a supplement can help. Or if you're working hard and then you're stressed all the time because of the immense work that you need to be doing because you're in your mid-20s and you need to, you know, sort of work on that. Yeah, then maybe ashwagandha can help. But you don't want to take ashwagandha for the testosterone boost because it's not going to take you anywhere. You know, actually changing, acting is going to do that. And then, you know, test, you know I don't want to I don't want to say that these things do nothing. They are really valuable and mm -hmm. they're really helpful. But it's just a chicken and the egg thing. You know, you can't put the supplements first and then the lifestyle second. You, you need to put the, you know, the, the lifestyle first and then the supplement second or third, you know, third or fourth. Yeah. First. But I think just simply, you can simply say that what people think testosterone is, is just not right. You know, the perception about it. What they want is something else, you know. They do not want higher testosterone. That's the problem. They think that this will solve the problems, but in reality, they just need more discipline. They need a purpose in life. And that's just a way to... Uh, just the way people think wrongly about these things, you know. They think that, ah, this will solve the issues. No, it won't, you know. But after you've solved these bigger issues, like you said, then you can start uh, adding more things. But let's move on to a topic that we couldn't wait to discuss. <laughs> and that is... Something also that which is related to health, but something that is very <laughs> esoteric in some senses, but also very not talked about enough. It's the parasites, man. It's the parasites. They're everywhere. They are eating us. They are making us different mentality, different sexuality. Talk <laughs> talk a bit about this. Yeah, I think it's um there's a good meme on on Instagram which you'll see occasionally, which is the iceberg of parasites, which is where mm. you know you you realize a few. A few things about parasites, you know, that they're very common in humans. Sorry, uh, can you still hear me? I'm kind of getting quite a bad connection. Can you hear my voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Okay, can all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, the, the video froze. Um, so, yeah, you realize a few things about parasites. So they're very common in every animal. That, they're, that every animal is wormed every six months and should be wormed every six months. Um, that every mammal is, other than humans. Um, you realize that if there's something in you, it, it will perfectly live in the stasis of consuming a, a, a small amount of your food um, and multiplying itself, but not overdoing it so that you it kills you because it doesn't want you to die, it wants you to continue living. Um, you also realize that a whole bunch of symptoms for different cancers um, and different like forms of disease are actually quite similar to certain parasites. You realize these things and then you start going a bit deeper and, and you realize whoa there's quite a lot of things wait but what about sexuality what if this is a breeding strategy for parasites because we do know that parasites can influence psychology in uh, mammals it, it can actually you know for example um cat urine um can make mice desire to be friendly with cats um, cat urine, this is well, well studied and, and proven in, in, in nature, by the way, that if a cat's urine uh, with toxoplasmosis, which is a, um, a parasite, is a unicellular parasite that is uh, hosted by cats definitively in the ecosystem. Um, if toxoplasmosis is in urine, um, then when a cat urinates and a mouse will taste that or, or go near it, um, if that cat becomes infected by toxoplasmosis, it will become extremely excited to see a cat and to become friendly with the cat and come close to it. Um, and that has that completely and that obviously is a is a death wish, okay, for a cat. You know, if, if a cat um, 
once sorry uh you've got quite a low connection you can still hear me right i can hear everything perfectly don't worry cool i'm going to turn video off for a moment see if that helps um so yeah this this is a psych you know yes this is studied in um in mammals you know so so we're, we've got a basic case here which is that mammals can be affected that doesn't necessarily mean that humans can be affected by parasites that doesn't necessarily mean that we can be psychologically affected but wait we do know that humans can have psychological effects from parasites and um, toxoplasmosis is well studied for example um, we know that it lowers inhibition we know that it increases aggression we know that people who have toxoplasmosis are something like three or four times more likely to crash cars um, we know that they're more likely to develop schizophrenia we know that they're more likely to have um, um, intense sexual urges towards non uh, non-standard uh, subjects, if you were to mm. say it like that. Now, I'm not talking about homosexuality, which is uh, an, an argument we can get into. I'm talking about fetishes into weird things. People with parasites are far more likely to have fetishes into non-reproductive um, uh, you know, uh, ends. And then this can kind of start to lead into this argument, which is that homosexuals have Parasites at something like 70%, intestinal parasites at something like 70% or more um, rates, whilst cis, uh, you know, heterosexual men have them at about a rate of 18%. So we're talking about a four to five times, uh, 4.5 times increase in rates. Now that's massive. That's massive. We're talking about 80, 70, 80% of homosexuals having para intestinal parasites having you know, this. And, and that's obviously because of their desire to uh you know go through intercourse in a way that would be extremely pro-parasitic now there are different types of parasites and i watched this show called um, monsters inside me uh which is actually really good if you if you're you know just if you've got 50 minutes uh, i think it's about an hour or 50 minutes but they they go through a few they go through many different cases of parasites and there's a very consistent story which is told um which is somebody caught a parasite when they were doing something it could even be just living in a city it could be they went to the tropics it could be they went to like africa it could be that they um had sex with somebody um you know it could be any number of things it could be that they ate um food at a restaurant that wasn't fully properly cooked it could be the case that they um ate food at home that they hadn't fully properly cooked it could even be the case that they ate cooked food that still had a parasite in it somehow you know mm -hmm. even if they had properly cooked it it could be the type of food they had a raw food you know there's just a million different causes and the reason for that which they sort of go into in this show but also i found in my later research as well is that there's literally tens of thousands of species of parasites and no doctor on earth could know all of the species of parasites even if they're a specialist in parasites um there are so many different species and that's because they they have so many different methods as to how they can affect humans now obviously with the pareto principle about 20 percent or less of the species of parasites are the most prolific you know for example toxoplasmosis is infecting about 20 to 50 percent of humans but we know that a huge proportion of the world is infected with parasites even in the western world we have huge rates of infection with parasites and when i say infection i mean that they are able to live in the human body and reproduce within the human body without um you know without you know conti continuously over many years 
And there's also brain parasites. There's also skin parasites that crawl in you. Now, this is the kind of stuff that really gets you freaked out because mm. you realize that there's a decent chance that you could be affected by this today. Uh, and, and this is where it gets really terrifying. And this is where I started to really do some research and get very scared. I would say it was in December. And I found a lot of different disgusting, disgusting things. And this is really difficult to talk about. And it's the reason that I've not talked about it on my Instagram yet. Because yeah. I don't want to make people too scared. Um, this stuff is really bad. And the, I was going to go, I was going to, to go into a consistent story that is told about parasites in this show. What's told in this story? Someone gets the parasite from a million different methods. They go to the doctor with symptoms. The doctor tells them that they have one of the standard forms of um, you know, malady that is common in Western society. They have a cold, they have the flu, or you have a headache, you should take a rest from work for a few days, take an antibiotic um, and you know, see, see what you do, see how it goes. And this is the timeless story that's told. This is the same with the forms of cancer. You know, forms of cancer, um, you're diagnosed with cancer and you go through chemotherapy and um, and then, you know, then you may get rid of it, but it may come back. Uh, th this is the method that we treat, you know, these things with. There's certain digestive issues like IBS, like um, different gut issues that people are just diagnosed with as, as having as a genetic condition, which maybe they got when they were a child and they grew up in a different country and then they moved to, the, to America and they had issues for their entire life. And there's a guy that was like 80 who actually found out that he had intestinal parasites from the age of about seven Oof. and um, they were destroying his ability to digest certain food. And he just thought he had a digestive issue and he was going through basic medicine and he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on treatment where he literally just had to go through a basic series of protocol which would have dewormed him and he would have been fine all these years. And I'm talking about hundreds of cases of this happening. And even in this show where they just document certain cases, but we're talking about tens, hundreds of thousands of people across the Western world who have parasites. We may even be talking about like literally 20 to 50% of people who have active intestinal parasites in, and they have a whole series of symptoms that you can't necessarily just say, if you have this, this, and this, therefore you have a parasite. It's not as simple as that because it could be any number of things and they are um, they're disguised um, within normal symptoms so that they survive because you think it's something else. So yeah, it's a terrible, terrible thing to, to study, a uh, terrible thing to research. And the only reason I'm talking about it here is because I think there's been too many questions I've received about it, too much, too many you know, people have talked about this and uh, asked me about it and wanted to know more. Um, yeah. In the last few days, I put, I posted a comment on the, uh, somebody's Instagram um, about parasites because it was a parasite-related, uh, you know, post, and I got like 40, 50 messages off of that single comment. People asking me about it, so I might refer to them to this podcast so I can talk a little bit more about it with them and for them as well. Um, but essentially, you know, um, if you're worried about having parasites, I would say you probably should be. Um, to some extent, you are more likely than not to have parasites if you, even if you live in a Western society, because there's so many different methods by which they spread, and there's so many symptoms that they have. So, what I would say is, you know, you can. Well, we can go into protocol. Do you have anything to say about that before I continue? Well, one thing that people can do that sometimes I guess is different for other parts of the world, but you can get tested for it. <laughs> A lot of people just mm. don't, yeah, for example, when I, not all parasites, but for example, when I was a waiter, 
I had to have to get a sample of my you know like feces in order for uh, them to test it to see how I, if I have any parasites. And if I didn't they have any parasites, they would not allow me to work. So this is, for example, here in Croatia, what we have to do, which is something that I'm thankful for, you know. But obviously, they cannot detect everything that way. Not every parasite goes through there as well. So, so, but yeah. Uh, Go on. I don't have anything special to add. Just, we are listening. I would say that the problem with the stool test and various other tests is that they um, they have very high rates of false positives or false negatives. Uh, you know, or false negatives. I think it mm -hmm. is. Um, so you're told that you don't have it, and you do, or you're told that you do have it and you don't. Uh, it's mm -hmm. actually a very poor test um, for those things. So parasites are very, very easy to um, misdiagnose or to to mm -hmm. you know to to wrongly to think that you're, you're you don't have them and if you think you don't have them and you're having parasite symptoms then it must be some kind of basic illness that you need to cure with antibiotics this is the problem is that if you don't know what your issue is you can't face the issue um Fair but enough. yeah so there's there's a standard protocol which i went through in early january to just test if there's something there i didn't see any extreme um yeah, i didn't see anything that i can report back on and you know maybe i was being schizophrenic on this um, but at the same time, there are so many different parasites that aren't visible, through, you know, even if you were to go through a protocol. But I would say that, you know, you can try this. If you're a guy and you're, you've are got some balls and you're not too scared and you want to just know that you're fine, I would say test this by going through a protocol. So you can go online and get some um, um, herbal supplements. You know, this is a standard way to do it, which is fine in most countries. You can just get them on like Amazon. You can get wormwood. Um, capsules, black walnut and clove capsules. And what you want to do is you want to take the uh, you want to take the cloves first, then you want to take the wormwood and black walnut uh, supplements about 30 minutes after that on an empty stomach in the morning. And you want to do that in the evening as well. So this is two of each per day. And you want to do this for seven days. You want to then take seven days off and then do another seven days of in the morning and evening. And, and then what this will do is the cloves kill baby parasites, so eggs, destroy eggs, and the wormwood and black walnut will kill live parasites. So if you have anything in you, uh, this should deal with it and also deal with the eggs. And the reason you do it again is if anything survive um, in the eggs, it will multiply over those seven days and then you'll kill that. So it's a, a little bit more of a foolproof method. Now that's, that's all you need. If you were to just test and see, that's, that's how far you should go. However, if you're more worried about this and you actually think you might have something, uh, for example, if you have an itchy anus, I don't want to go into you know ugly details, but if you have an itchy anus at night, every night, if you have um, symptoms like just intense gut pain a lot of the time and you think maybe it's IBS, even though you, you don't have a bad diet, um, if you're eating a lot of food but not gaining weight, for example, um, some people get this and, and, you know, obviously try and increase your calories. Maybe it's nothing, but if, you know, if you, if you feel there could be an issue, if you're getting like intense headaches all the time and you, you couldn't quite explain it, you know, there's lots of different reasons you, you might get this. And as a result, I would say that most people who are guys, at least, I don't know about women, but guys should try this because there's not going to be any complications. If you do, uh, it's very unlikely to be, because these are safe supplements. They're not going to damage you. Um, if you take them only for two weeks, uh, over three weeks. Um, so that, that's all you need to do. But if you want to go a bit deeper, you can try fast because parasites rely on intense volumes of carbohydrates going into your system. If you have intense carbohydrate 
um, and sugar cravings a lot of the time. This may actually be your parasites communicating with your brain to tell you to consume food that feeds them. And you also you often get a kind of Stockholm syndrome where you um, enjoy things that your parasites enjoy and your parasites will make you feel uncomfortable when because they can do damage to you if you're not um, feeding them essentially. So you can try a, a long fast. Now, 24 hours is probably fine, but if you really have some balls, you can do a 72 hour fast where you only consume sea salt and water and you can have lemon juice and apple cider vinegar as well. Jeez. Those are the things that you can have. That's very, very difficult and it put me through a lot of difficulty. But I tried this for you know, half spiritual reasons and also half. I was doing it whilst I was taking this protocol and seeing if it helped. Um, it was very difficult, but you know, after I finished that, the taste of everything was mm. 10 times better. It was beautiful. It was like delicious. Everything was amazing. And it, it, was, it was quite fun as well to test it. Um, that's the next thing I'd suggest. Then you can do lower carb diet generally. If you lower your carbs for a few weeks and you're getting intense reactions, um, more than just keto flu, which some people get, you may have some dependence uh, because of parasites. That's something to pay attention to. Um, then you can also do a, a binding agent. Now this is really important for uh, heavy metals as well. So I would recommend people try a binding agent for some time. Um, the two major ones I would recommend are um, zeolite clay or spirulina. Spirulina, um, as long as it's from a clean source, so do a bit of research into the place it's from. Uh, it's basically a form of like algae basically that's dried um, and basically picks up heavy metals, but also carries parasites or binds to parasites and carry them out of your system. So if you kill them, they're much less like uh, much less likely to reproduce. Uh, zeolite clay, by exam by comparison, you're literally in dirt, by the way, but it's clean dirt, which is food safe. Zeolite clay, as long as you get a food safe form, um, zeolite clay will um, essentially bind to heavy metals as well, which is amazing because parasites love heavy metals environments. So if you're having a lot of heavy metals in your diet, or as you were saying earlier, if um, heavy metals are released from your fat, um, you can take zeolite clay and that will carry it through your system and out. So it's a really, really nice system to deal with that. Um, but also zeolite clay has a, a structure which will carry parasites. It will stick into parasites and carry them through your digestive system and into the toilet. Mm -hmm. So have a look through, you know, look in your toilet uh, for this. I know it's not very amazing that you know to talk about this but you know it's such a it's such a massive issue that it cannot be avoided then mm. you know if you're wanting to go a bit deeper um actually i would say you know this is a this is more shallow but apple cider vinegar um bit of water apple cider vinegar with the mother organic raw um after meals twice a day amazing you know that can actually help because the acidic environment is really bad for parasites um, but also it's really good for digestion. It helps you um, break down meats, uh, helps your stomach settle after a meal. I would recommend apple cider vinegar for a whole bunch of reasons as well. It's also probiotic. Then uh, you can also take a quarter. This is another one which I wouldn't necessarily always universally recommend, but can be good. Take a quarter teaspoon of baking soda once every evening into water. That's disgusting, disgusting, mm. disgusting. You know, there's the Arm and Hammer brand, which is all you need. A quarter teaspoon of that, take it, and that will kill. That will literally kill parasites if you take that. It's awful, but it can do it. Uh, I've heard about enemas, and I can't really go into that. Uh, unfortunately, I uh, apparently that is the killer for you know for the parasite and I for mean, many things in. as well. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> not for me, man. <laughs> I'm not doing that. 
sorry. But if you take these things and it kills them in the gut, and then you take some binding agents and it carries them out of the gut, then you don't need to worry about an enema uh, in theory. Some people will yeah. argue with me and say that's the pure, you know, method for health. But yeah, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to add something to this, and for major majority of the things that you mentioned, they are healthy either way. A fast is healthy either way, even longer fast. Yeah, yeah. It can just do more good for you, even if you're not worried about, about parasites. So you can do these things for your health. Plus, if you have some parasites, you will kill them without having to be schizophrenic about it, you know? So the same thing, for example, I, I'm actually going to take some clay because I know it's just general good for cleaning out, like you said, heavy metals and stuff like that. So if I also have um, something dead in, in me, you know, great. And the thing that you also said about apple cider vinegar, exactly, for digestion, it's great. It's healthy, it's healthy for your, you know, gut biome as well, I believe, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. So, again, you can take this and baking soda or, or you know, just, um, what is the other name for baking soda? Yeah, soda, yeah, soda, basically. Sodium bicarbonate. Yeah, exactly. It is not that disgusting for me. I take it sometimes so that you cannot get as scared. Because and it's pretty much you're, you're you're making the water extremely alkaline, and it just purifies you know everything like just goes through you, and this is something that I don't take sometimes you know just for health reasons as well. So you can try that out and yeah, um, it is it doesn't have to be it is scary but you don't have to be scared of it. You can just take these healthy things and you can solve many problems just like that. You know, yeah. Uh, and so nowadays I'm going to be doing this about once every six months where I go through this uh, herbal protocol. It's very cheap. You can get all three of these herbal, uh, herbal supplements. You can, um, the dosages are normally worked out fairly well as well. So you shouldn't worry about that too much. I think there's a supplement uh, company called like health for all. I'm not sponsored or anything, but that's the one I got. Um, they have 21, um, dosages of each one. So it should last for a full, um, you know, for a full cycle of this. And it's pretty cheap as well. It's really not expensive for, the, for what you're getting, like a lot of different, you know, um, like it has all three in the correct dosages that you need. And they're on the right, uh, yeah, in the right, right weighting and, and um, compression as well. So that's good. Now that supplement protocol, as I said, don't take it too long. Don't just take this for a long period of time because it can have damage, you know, damaging effects on your organs if you take it for like months, but you're not supposed to. It's a, it's a one week, one week off, one week on, then stop. Maybe do it again six months later or 12 months later. doesn't matter too much, but that's how you do it. Um, that's the one thing that I'd say is not like a, a generally a healthy thing to do. Like, you know, you shouldn't be taking these herbal supplements exactly. at the time. The rest of the things I said, those are actually really good. Apple cider vinegar is great. You can take that every day. I take it every single day and it's, it's amazing, especially for like thyroid health and metabolism as well. Mm -hmm. um, but also, as I said, digestion. Um, and then with the binding agents, clay, zeolite clay specifically, there's also um, diatomaceous earth. I haven't done much research on that, but I... Um, I think I, take, I take, they took that in the past, to be honest. I'm not sure. Yeah, zeolite is one, is the one that if it will pick up heavy metals and basically connect and magnetize to them and carry them out. That's really, really good. Uh, and also will kill parasites. But the mm -hmm. thing with zeolite clay is that it, it, because of the fact that it's a sharp structure, it's basically in this specific structure a shape which will um you know atomic shape which will um stick into things like parasites um it also can slightly scratch the gut lining and also the intestines so 
Um, you know, I should disclaim that because, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not necessarily saying everyone should take this, but it's something I'm talking about for myself. Um, when I took this, I didn't have any negative effects. I took this four times in one week and it was completely fine. So I did not do this for months. I did not do this for weeks even. I did this a few times within a week and I was uh, completely fine. I didn't feel any negative effects from it. Um, if you are a bit afraid of damaging your gut, especially if you have some gut issues, you can take spirulina instead. Spirulina will also be a binding agent, which carries heavy metals through, but it's very soft on the uh, on the gut lining, so it's not going to do any damage. Additionally, spirulina has a lot of nutrients in it, which can be quite beneficial. It's disgusting, man. I'd rather eat clay than spirulina. It tastes awful, but you know there are certain benefits to it which I can't yeah. deny. So I take so, yeah. a lot of glu I take a lot of glutamine nowadays, so I think my gut lining is better. My, so my might just well I'll see I'll decide because I want to just take it for, especially since I'm cutting you know just to make myself even more healthy you know and I'll just add this point about fasting um, fasting if you you should first do like a 16 hour fast if you never fast before just just skip a breakfast and something like that and eat like at 2 p.m. Um, the thing with fasting is that mentally it can get much easier if you are prepared for what is coming so if, if thomas said like you can try 72 hours uh, it can be horrible if that's like your first time it can even be problematic if you don't know what you're experiencing like you can uh, be dizzy stuff like that but i would recommend almost just for purely mental benefits like a 24 hour fast just for you can try it and then after you get used to it you can get into 72 hours i did it once it was hard but as long as you are not around people that are eating all the time stuff that it's pretty manageable in my experience and if you say if you say that that can actually like 72 hours if that can completely kill most of the things i'd actually think that is the for me that would be the easiest way to do it no thinking just don't eat for three days and that's it but i guess it's different for everyone you know for me fasting is not that difficult because if I am aware that I'm not supposed to eat, then it's easier to resist. Then if, if then if I was just you know hungry, usually I would get much more pissed off because I know like I need to eat. But when I'm fasting, I'm like, I can chill now. I don't have to eat, you know. Yeah, I think most people are kind of pussies, actually. If I'm honest, um, yeah. if they're not going to be able to consider this, like. You know, you're, if you're a man and you're listening to this podcast and you're afraid to do a fast, I don't know. Like, I often, I often feel like I have to give delicate advice because I'm giving it to a large number. Yeah, of exactly. But if I'm honest, like maybe I shouldn't because it, it wasn't that scary to do a 72-hour fast. Actually, like you're going to be fine. Don't be a pussy. Exactly. You know, people didn't. You know, in history, in history, how many times did your ancestors go days without eating because they couldn't find food? You know, and, and they were fine. So, so you know, are you really going to die if you don't eat for four hours? Like, geez, man. You know, man up and don't be like a complete bitch. That's all I'd say. Like, come on, you know, is it really that scary to not eat? I think most people are not afraid of the prospects of a three hour, three day fast if they're if they actually have some balls going into it. Just decide not to do it. Tell your friends you're going to do it. And um, ones that will actually not criticize you for it, but ones that will respect you and say, wow, that's great. Good luck. Um, that's the kind of person you should tell about it and then report back. Say, you know, how was it? Tell them about it. Maybe they'll be like, well, that's pretty cool. Maybe maybe I'll try it sometime. Maybe they'll try a 24-hour fast. Maybe start with a 24-hour, then do a 20, you know, 48 exactly. and see if you can do a 72. Now, I wouldn't say do all this within a few weeks, maybe leave it a few months, but just, you know, decide early in the year or maybe mid-year, okay, I'm going to do this in this month. This is when I'll do it. And 
there you go <laughs> and do it you know? so you just follow through with, with your plan and see how it feels for you for me it was really difficult on day three i was quite mentally erratic um but it was worth it you know i felt i felt like amazing afterwards after i'd mm. taken the uh like the first meal uh, and when you do break your fast after that um you know you want to have a very small meal in theory for me it was like yeah. a two thousand calorie meal um because i was just like so insanely excited by the prospect of eating food i ate yogurt banana chips so they were banana chips cooked in coconut oil then dipped in yogurt mm. and it was the most delicious thing i've ever eaten in my life it tasted like i was eating like chocolate biscuits or something it was like incredible yeah. like you know oh it was amazing i think i broke my like my longer fast with uh, watermelon or something like that oh man it, it, you cannot imagine how sweet it was but yeah just if, if you're listening to this so obviously for everything that we are saying we are not medical experts something like that do everything on your own the research but uh for fasting just make sure that you have some salt just some you yeah. know electrolytes and that's it because you can get very easily dehydrated you know you can just flush everything out if you're drinking water and you can get dizzy you can you know even maybe you get up too fast you can fall fall down so be careful about that just have electrolytes and you'll be fine yeah i trained on the fast um me too i wouldn't necessarily recommend that for everyone see how you feel take it by take it you know by by uh with time and, and with f you know, with some consciousness as well um but yeah that's another thing you, you should have a magnesium a potassium and a sodium source um from for salts you shouldn't just have and calcium you shouldn't just have um some kind of table salt you also shouldn't maybe just have sea salt sea salt is great or maybe uh, himalayan salt um but they they only have trace forms of mm-hmm. potassium and magnesium minerals so if you can get a um, an electrolyte supplement which is just the pure salts which has approximately you know per gram you want to have so so in a day you want to have about 300 to 500 milligrams of magnesium you want to have about 2000 to 3000 milligrams of potassium which is really hard to get it's way yeah. harder than that. <laughs> yeah so hard and to. you want to have like 6 grams of so- uh, sodium uh, so the ratio you want to have is something like 1 to 6 in the potassium <laughs> uh nature chat just showed me the uh, yeah <laughs> you, you want to have um, I'll just I'll just have... I'll just put the picture <laughs> to be fair I haven't actually found one that's like really rigorous true. Than salt, salt. true it's just so overpriced i'm sorry solbra if you're listening I'm, i'm sure you're not but um that is so freaking overpriced for what you can do you can just get potassium salts and you can buy them you can also buy magnesium salts you can also then buy sodium and, and there are also calcium. salts that are just Mix- have the reduced sodium that you can literally buy this in like in health stores and not a lot of people know about this but those mm. salts that have reduced sodium they actually have more level more potassium and magnesium because they increase it huh. so it's very it's very useful like that and it's like cheap man I, b- i bought like for three euros like this bag so <laughs> amazing it should be really cheap it, because you, you don't need some kind of special like ancient deep salt what you need is the compounds ultimately um and you need them to be water soluble that's all so um that's all i'd say you know try and get something like that like a, a form of a decent form of magnesium and potassium if you see this um electrolyte supplement you know you have to do your own receptions because there's there's so many different brands out there mm-hmm. but if you find your supplement and you look at the ingredients and it has um 6 gram you know let work it out do a bit of mathematics if it had 6 grams of sodium in it 
Um, so, you know, do the multiplication. Okay, per 100 grams, it's 90 grams of sod uh, sodium. If it only has, for that amount that you would get six grams of salt, sodium, if it only has um, 500 milligrams of potassium for that weight, then it's not a good supplement. You need to have about 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams of uh, potassium if you were going to get six grams of sodium. Then you need to work out how much magnesium you would get. Would that be about 300 to 500 milligrams for the six grams of sodium that you'd get? If that's the case, then it's a really good supplement and it's quite hard to find that. But if you can find that, that's amazing because if you were to drink the correct amount of sodium for the day, you would also have the correct amount of potassium and magnesium for the day, which is, for some reason, they just overdose the sodium in these things. They underdose the potassium and magnesium and it's a complete waste of the supplement mm. because those, those are the actual things that you really want to find is the things that you don't get in normal food. And then you can start having that in your water every day after you finish your fast. You can have yep. it in your water every day. Uh, and not just have it in in meals it's really really good uh, oh man solution. absolutely especially uh for pre-workout and during workout just having the electrolytes it can it can really change your workouts man it can uh, you get a better pump you get better focus even you know so it's great and let this be the perfect segue to the most important topic <laughs> of our life and that is working out man so i don't know how we can even start this but let's let's just put like this do you remember where you were like two years ago when we first recorded what what were you doing what was the trend looking like and how has it changed now how has your physique improved how has everything changed yeah yeah so i remember because it's it's quite a pivotal moment in my gym history which is where i just got back you know to the gym uh, i was you know two or three weeks into training at the gym after i've been training at home every day mm. <clears throat> and my home training because of lockdowns had been something like this. I had a pair of parallel bars for dips. I had um, two 20 kilo dumbbells, which I didn't change the weight of, I just kept that weight. I had a pull-up bar and I had a band. Um, and so what I did is I did face pulls with a pull-up bar and a band where I would um, hook the band into the pull-up bar and then like do pulls with it, face pulls. Mm. Um, I would do, that was not the center. And I would do, um, I would do a three day split one of the day, actually, was it three days? No, it was a four-day split. One of the days, this is, this is, I know it so well because it was my every single day. I didn't take yeah. rest days. Yeah. I just did four days on rotation. So one day would be, I would do eight sets of dips, weighted dips with a band, with a chain, and I would go up to 40 kilos at 100 kilos weight. So I would do 140 kilos for almost 10, I think I got nine reps as my PR, which I was really happy with, 140 kilo dips. I can't even bench much more than 225. Like if, if I if you took me to the gym today, I would probably get 225 for maybe two reps. I'm not that strong relative to mine. It's because my um, you, should, you should not you should not mix pounds and kilos because now people will think you can only bench 225 kilos since you said 140. <laughs> 140 kilos is uh, 315 yeah. Um, pounds. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> Regardless, um, my arms are very long, so I actually look a lot bigger than my uh, the, the amount of weight I can technically bench. Um, but when I do dips, I'm really strong because uh, I'm put into a better uh, leverage position. Mm -hmm. uh, I know this podcast is uh, going to have to, we're going to have to take a, no take a split. Yeah. I'll keep going until it sort of ends and then we can continue on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would do dips, eight sets, and then I would do a bunch of tricep pushdowns with the band and the uh, pull-up uh, pull bar. And, and that was it. That was my full day. You know, I would just do a ton of volume, eight sets. Then the next day I would do um, pull-ups. I would do uh, as many pull-ups as I could for... 
150 or 200 reps or something like that. I would do an insane, like 20 sets or something like that. I would do as many pull-ups as I could for like 20 sets. And I would take about four or five minutes rest. So it would be like an, an hour and a half of just pull-ups. It was insane. Um, then I would do, on the next day, I would do squats and I would do 25 reps, two bands, two purple bands wrapped around me from my feet to my shoulders and 40 kilos with my feet elevated and it was the most insane leg training i've ever done in my life and my legs blew up from that it was crazy because mm. i was just doing so much volume and then i would go outside into the garden and i would do 10 sets of lunges up and down the garden um 10 sets of lunges uh, there to back which was about 25 meters so it was a lot um <clears throat> and then i would uh, oh we're going to finish the podcast but basically um then i would do curls superset with overhead press with 20 kilos so 45 pounds and i would do as many overhead overhead presses as i could and i would superset that with as many curls as i could and then do that for eight sets so that was my my program just as uh just as i got onto the podcast with you last time yeah and i'll continue what i'm doing nowadays uh, on, on our next recording be you know to see, see each other in a moment okay yep yeah you were saying curls and overhead press yeah, yeah. So I would do uh, 20 kilo curls for as many reps as possible, and then 20 kilo overhead press for as many reps as possible. For that was it. Like I just, I just didn't try to increase the reps over time, um, like with that exercise. And I remember having a notebook in my bedroom, which just was like my torture notebook, where I would just write write down how many reps I'd done between sets, and it was insane. It was actually quite fun that training. But then I obviously got back to the gym, so I could do a whole bunch of other things. Within a few months of that, I uh, I think you know I got I got to a four plate deadlift for multiple reps. Um, then I got a three plate squat for multiple reps. Pretty happy about that. Um, and then I actually you know got really strong using my dip strength to do bench. I was a lot more focused around strength then. I think nowadays I've become pretty much what you could call a pure bodybuilding focused trainer lifter. Where now a lot of people misconstrue natural bodybuilding to be similar to testosterone mm -hmm. um you know steroid bodybuilding where you just do reps and like lightweight <clears throat> ultimately you know if you're a natural bodybuilder you need to be getting stronger but the ways that you get stronger are through first of all higher reps so you know talking the six to twelve rep range on compound lifts and you do need to do a lot of volume uh, and also it's about where you're getting stronger it's not going to be these like you know it's not going to be just the squat and the deadlift and, and you don't need to care about numbers you, you need to care about the contraction of a muscle under tension and the tension will be decided by how much you need to contract the muscle most effectively so this is a completely different philosophy to um, powerlifting where you're just focused about getting away from a to b what you notice about powerlifters a lot of the time is that they they tend to have undeveloped arms they tend to have much bigger um, trunk you know core uh, chest uh, they may have bigger shoulders but their arms are undeveloped they also have um, uh, you know an imbalanced back where they have a lot more lower and mid back development and not much upper back development um, they have undeveloped calves a lot of the time because they're not really using their calves just for stability they care about performance fair enough but as a as a bodybuilder I care about performance in other lifts and I'm not you know, restricted to just caring about SVD. I don't really do the deadlift and the squat anymore. I do variations of them. I do Romanian snatch grip deadlifts and I do Zercher squats or even Smith machine squats with my you know, hack squats. So I don't even care about those lifts. I'm sorry, guys. But my legs I found were way overdeveloped relative to my upper body. I've had 
overdeveloped legs for my entire lifting journey because um, I think it's um, something to do with nucleus overload, but basically my legs are just like they grow off of one like one small leg day a week. I will grow my legs way faster than my upper body. Same I don't actually, even... yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, as a result of that, I need to work on my upper body more to actually have balance. And I care about balance. You know, I care about having a, a well-developed, you know, over, over you know, overall development of the physique. I've really focused on my arms a lot because I have very long arms and very, very bad arm genetics for growth. So I've really been caring about my curls and my triceps. And not a lot of powerlifting focused people will just say, no, no, just do your heavy presses and your triceps will grow. It's just not the case. You, if you really want to grow your arms, isolation, you need to be putting it as much. It's not an accessory lift. It's putting as much intensity and focus into your arm training, into your shoulder training, as you do for your lift training, like your chest press or your, um, you know, or your, uh, your, your squat, something like that. Additionally, I'm much more open-minded about Smith machines, about machines generally, about, um, you know, using, using just unconventional lifts, that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. If it's effective. Absolutely. I have no, um, I have no hang-ups. I have no uh, scruples when it comes to finding the things that work with me, finding the things that will allow me to train late into my twenties, into my thirties, into my forties, and look great and not injure me. I had a back injury from deadlifts because I just, I just cared about getting stronger and I had great form, but I had overuse injuries which I ignored because I wanted to get my numbers up and I cared way too much about my numbers. And I found that my, you know, if I wanted to grow from from using a hip hinge, then doing a stretch. Um, oriented, uh, you know, lift like a, like a Romanian deadlift is actually more effective than conventional deadlifts. I'm sorry, guys, that if you're not stretching and, and lowering the weight under load um, and then coming back up and, and using that part of the range of motion, if you're just getting it up and then dropping it because it's a deadlift, you don't need to lower it down slowly, then you're not going to grow your hamstrings and your glutes and your low back and your posterior chain more generally as effectively. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and people care way too much about not using straps because um, they think that if you have strong grip strength, then your forearms will be big. That's not true. Your forearms grow from like doing a lot of forearm volume. Maybe if you do want to do pharma carries, that's good. But you also want to do wrist curls. You want to do like wrist extensions. You want to use your hands in different planes of motion. <clears throat> but you know, you can use straps for any back exercise and grow your back better and more effectively because the limiting factor in the exercise is not going to be your hands. So my philosophy around training nowadays, I'm very high volume oriented high volume mostly to failure which most people would say well you, you can't mix volume and intensity and get optimal results it's like well actually <clears throat> um i found that sorry <clears throat> i found that if i take every set to failure in a safe way not using these like just conventional barbell lifts but if i'm using for example dumbbells or machines i could take every single set to failure absolute Very failure, true. like true technical failure and do multiple sets and stay strong and do multiple extra exercises after that and then recover well because I have perfect sleep. I don't drink any alcohol and I eat perfectly. So my recovery is on point right now and it will be for months and months and maybe even years. And I'm gonna make the most of that by training <clears throat> six days a week um, for over an hour nowadays. Uh, uh, I use my lunch break and I also train before work. So I have a good amount of time to train nowadays. I, I'm gonna be doing that a lot more. Uh, and I'm going to make the most out of my ability to just make gains. I'm going to really, really try and grow. The things I've noticed in the last year that I've grown the most, my arms have grown up to 16 inches. They used to be like, literally, they used to be 14 inches, um, maybe 14 and a half for the yeah. first three years of me lifting. It was insane how small they were. And now they're up to 16. Um, that is that is a good number, yeah. 
yeah, cold flex 16. They can get up to 17 if I do a lot of um, if I do a lot of work and then and then measure that. Uh, I want to get them to 17 cold flexed. Uh, my chest is um, a lot more balanced. I have a lot more upper chest. I remember two, three years ago, I didn't have an upper chest. Same. All of my chest was just my lower. I had no development of the upper chest. Now I'd say I have a pretty balanced chest. Uh, my delts are a lot more developed and I don't do any pressing. Now I'm going to start increasing my pressing a little bit more, but I found that my, um, actually my, my delts uh, kind of overtake the um, chest if I'm doing too much bench press. If, sorry, if I'm doing like a bench press. Great. My, uh, my, yeah, my delts overtake a lot of the time. So if I'm doing a lot of overhead pressing and chest pressing, my delts will overdevelop and my chest will not be very active. So I try and focus more on my chest than my delts. And I do a lot of lateral raises and I do machine overhead pressing mostly. Um, then in terms of my back development, really focused on pull-ups right now. I was also focused on upper back development a lot earlier this year. And I've really started to develop, uh, to develop the details like the terrace major, yeah. the rear delts a lot more. So my back is actually probably one of my strongest body parts right now. Um, but yeah, I'm really trying to focus on strength for like pull-ups, for example, weighted pull-ups and trying to get up to 150 kilos, which is about uh, 335, 325 um, total weight for my pull-ups. Um, and I, I'm currently at 145 kilos, which is like 320 pounds, I think. So that's where I'm at right now. It's my one rep max. I, I also do, you know, higher reps and uh, really, you know, I got back to pull-ups like three weeks ago. I'm also trying to broaden the rib cage um, through developing the lats, um, but also literally broadening the rib cage. It's possible. So I'm taking pullovers extremely seriously right now. I'm trying to get up to heavy, heavy pullovers with perfect full range of motion. Um, and you know, powerlifters don't care about that, but bodybuilders do. And if you get really strong in pullovers, your this, you know your lower lats will develop beautifully, and it flows so amazingly. And that doesn't matter whatsoever for a powerlifter. But if you get a strong pullover. I have no doubt that you will get a huge amount of functional strength from that. This is the thing I hate, you know, this is a long monologue, but I think it's valuable. The thing I hate about powerlifters who criticize bodybuilding is that they act like we're not functional. I actually think that bodybuilding is more functional in many ways, like natural bodybuilding is more functional in many ways than powerlifting because we're putting ourselves through huge different planes of motion, countless different, um, you know, joints to being worked in different ways we're trying to hit muscles and develop them we're also trying to stretch as much as we can we're trying to become stronger but in way more than just uh, a hip hinge a knee flexion and a chest press mm. horizontal flexion that's we're not just doing three things True. and then everything else is an accessory we're doing everything at once fully focused on total body um, you know development and and as a result of that we do get a lot of carryover to a whole bunch of different physical activities and when you put a bodybuilder under a squat bench and deadlift they tend to be pretty strong so i would say um you know, I'm not saying that one is superior to it's the other. It's just that minimalism obviously. is a problem in any any type of lifting journey, yeah. you know, minimalism, that's, that's it. <clears throat> I'm not saying that uh, bodybuilders will be stronger than powerlifters, you know, powerlifters will be stronger than bodybuilders, but bodybuilders may have a different form of physical development because they spend so much more time on so many different, uh, you know, activities. There's also a lot of GPP work in both of these, which can be amazing for health. So yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think what I'm really trying to do here is defend bodybuilding. Um, from powerlifting rather than say that bodybuilding is better than powerlifting yeah. or something like that because I think people look down on it they say oh you only care about looks you, you know you're going to be unfunctional you're going to be weak no you know, if you're a serious natural bodybuilder you will actually have huge health benefits to this it's, it's probably the healthiest form of existence to be a natural bodybuilder who cares about having you know some level of like general fitness as well if you do those two things at once which you can um, 
you're going to be in this for the long game. You're going to have a great looking physique. You're going to have a great metabolism, a great diet. Yeah. You're going to be defended from like diabetes and all kinds of different diseases. There, there's a you know an ocean of different benefits that this kind of pursuit actually has for your health, which I think is massively important. And that's why I'm in this for now, thinking about my later 20s, thinking about my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, thinking about how I can stay in this game, not damage myself, not come out of it late 20s and feel like I've broken everything because I have and injured everything. I want to actually be healthy for, you know, raising children as well. And, you know, that's where my mind's at right now. It's about health and looking amazing and also having strength. So it's strength in different movement patterns mm. and in different exercises than the ones that may injure you if you're, you know, just trying to get numbers. Mm. I'd say for that... I think, and also, I don't know if you do this in your programming, but rotating exercises like every few weeks, yeah, I think is key for this, you know, not sticking to to the same because our body doesn't like patterns. Everything where we just do the same thing, body gets kind of tight. It kind of gets into this. It's, there's a name for it, like uh, overload or something. I don't know. But basically, yeah, it, it hurts the body. And not only that, but it stalls the progress as well. So I just think that changing, not necessarily everything, but just maybe a slight variation. Maybe it's, you know, just doing a neutral pull-up instead of a regular yeah. one. That's it. Or maybe just doing, a, like you said, a machine overhead press instead of a dumbbell one. All you need to do. That's it. So if I show up to the gym, I used to be like, okay, got to get my bench press up. I'll do my flat barbell bench press today. Mm -hmm. And then I would be like, well, actually, you know, you listen to powerlifters and they tell you if you want to get your bench up, you need to be benching two, exactly. three, maybe even four That's times a week. That's what my friend says as well, powerlifters. Yeah, yeah, friend, and, yeah. And I'm not strawmanning powerlifters right now. They will tell you, I've heard this countless times from powerlifting coaches, if you want to get your bench press up, you need to be bench three times a week. And if you bench three times a week, seriously, you know, as your first lift, because you want to get it the most fresh, you're going to screw your rotator cuffs up. You're going to, you're not going to grow your chest that much. Like, you, you know, because you're just, you know, you're not hitting your chest through the full, you know, you're not expressing it through the full multiplicity of potential movement patterns that it can. So if I, nowadays, I, I was so addicted to that. I was like, I have to do the bench press three times a week. No, I don't even need the bench numbers. I need to, yeah, I need to become stronger over time, but I need to become more capable with my chest by doing higher reps, higher volume, being able to take more total workload over a session, doing multiple exercises. And so nowadays, if I show up to the gym, I might start with the Smith machine. I'm sorry, guys, but I might start with the Smith machine incline bench. As long as it's you know done properly, it's actually an amazing exercise. I might start with the dumbbell incline bench. I might start with the uh, you know the dumbbell flat bench. It, it, I don't care. What I care about is is am I taking my chest through enough workload? And, and nowadays, yeah, I'll, I'll obviously do barbell bench press probably about once a week, but I'll also do a bunch of other different things um, as my first priority. And, and yeah, so if I show up, I, I might do the Romanian deadlift. I might do a snatch grip Romanian deadlift. I might do, um, you know, more barbell rows on one day. I might focus more on uh, over, you know, uh, yeah, I want to increase the skill set with this. You know, I do want to get stronger and get better with it, but it's, you know, yeah, rotation is so valuable. And once you sort of get your head out of these three lifts, which everyone's addicted to, you actually become a lot more capable of becoming stronger in different planes of motion and also just not having this dogma which is kind of infecting your training in my opinion most people are not even powerlifters they just want to get stronger and then feel good about that they, but you know they're not going to a meet or anything like that they're just they're just kind of like passive powerlifters you know if you actually want to look good 
then don't just be a powerlifter. Maybe consider flex, you know, being a bit more flexible with your training. And maybe those accessories that you tack on at the end of the lift for three by 10, maybe that high, you know, hypertrophy work you're doing, <laughs> which you put like 10% of effort into, maybe that's the stuff that you actually want to take seriously, a lot more seriously, if you want to really see like personal physical development. So yeah, that's my that's my take on, on lifting, yeah. how I think about it nowadays. I have a very different philosophy to two years ago. I think I think bodybuilding has really carved itself out. Natural bodybuilding has really carved itself yeah, out in the last two years. Beautiful community, yeah. Great, great people. Yeah, it's honestly. much stronger, much stronger community. And it was infected by powerlifting for a very long period of time. Mm, I agree. And something that I've led on to the, these last points that you said is that, um, for example, I, li I also like, or well, everyone likes having a bigger bench, bigger overhead press, stuff like that, bigger <laughs> squat. But the thing is, I also do not almost do those variations at all. Like I maybe every month or every two months I will do a pure version like pure overhead press or pure bench. Because hmm. everything that you do, if, if it's a, the same muscles working and you're getting stronger at, at it, that will increase your pure lifts, your row lifts, you know. So for example, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm getting stronger <clears throat> at the, let's say, anterior delt press you know or the like high incline overhead press i know that i will also get stronger at the regular overhead press the same thing is with i don't know if i'm doing a lot of um you can say lunges for example lunges or split squats i know that my squat in general will grow you know but it is about targeting the weaknesses for example i have now a very strong lockout from doing a lot of push pressing you know but now mm. I'm focused on the lower end, like doing a lot of paused movements, like a paused overhead press and stuff like that. I lift less weight, but I'm getting stronger. And then when I move on to the regular overhead press, I'll be like, oh my God, five kilo PR out of nowhere. But it's not a surprise because the same muscles are being worked. And this is what people don't realize. And that you do not have to do the, the exercise that you want to get better at. Actually, you can do everything but just constantly keep improving the strength of it. And as you get stronger, everything gets stronger. Strength is strength. That is it. Strength yeah. is strength. And another yeah, point... Like, yeah, go on. No, no, please continue. You got another point, that's fine. Yeah, and now I missed it. <laughs> go, 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 I've go destroyed on. you. I've derailed you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you said strength is strength. You were talking about like uh, increasing your overhead press, for example, yeah. by doing anterior delt press instead and finding pause pressing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Of benefits. Did, did you yeah. have a... Yeah, pretty much. Um, also, people. Uh, no, nope, I completely lost it, man. No, no worries. I will. I will. If I remember it when you start talking about things. But yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll make my point anyway. So, what I was going to say is um, essentially that my mindset is maybe different to even really caring about the numbers on those lifts anymore. When I go into the gym and I choose to do an exercise like the, for example, the barbell bench press. It's nice, it's a nice ego boost to see that it went up. But what I think is more important is selecting the right weight for the purposes that you have. So if you ever look at like a, a professional, yes, steroided bodybuilder, but like an elite level bodybuilder who actually does train well, you know, not just benefiting from the steroids by doing high reps and low weight, mm -hmm. somebody who actually has to train hard because they're about to compete, um, those people will show up to the gym and they'll take maybe a four plate bench or something like that they're very strong but they're not doing that four plate bench to to prove that they can do it they're doing the four plate bench and perfectly using that mm. tool to contract their muscles 
under that load. Yeah, it's crazy and, to see how they control the weight, literally. Yeah, and it's a for any bodybuilder who's any bodybuilder who's just trying to prove to the camera that they can move that weight. They're not serious because they're using that weight. Yeah, they're massively strong. They're massively strong. Also, natural natural bodybuilders should be massively strong, but we're not strong so that we can move the weight. We're strong. We're we're, we're moving the weight to move the weight through, you know, move our muscles through the weight, contracting our muscles under that tension. And yeah, we become strong from that because the muscles ultimately move the weight. If you develop your muscle mass, the muscle mass becomes more capable of moving weight. Um, you know, yes, you can get stronger, but ultimately the, the way that you get stronger after your neurons uh, adapt to moving weight is by gaining muscle mass. So both are, um, both are very close. But they, but you know that there are different priorities. <clears throat> strength um, for two reps, for example, strength for one rep is way more neural than strength for yeah, eight CNS, reps. You can't, yeah. you can't use your, you can't use your brain to, to, you know, to bench eight reps of, of 80 kilos. I'm sorry, you know, 90 kilos, 10, 100 kilos. You can't just use your brain to do that. You have to develop your muscle mass to be able to do that. And, you know, slowly controlled. You know, you don't have to fully lock out, but you do have to contract your chest if you're going to do that and you know every other lift is like this one, one of the reasons i like pull-ups for example is because pull-ups really um, encourage a form which is muscle focused mm. rather than form focused if you come all the way down with a pull-up and go all the way up you can't cheat that rep up you can't you know ego lift that weight you can do that with a row for example or even the deadlift you can ego that lift up by hitching and stuff like that um but you can't do that with a pull-up uh, you know if you've got a weighted pull-up you and you you okay fair enough you can swing but if you're not swinging then it's an amazing exercise for developing your lats your mid back your to biceps, be fair to be fair forearms. a lot of people also struggle with uh, using too much arms in the pull-ups you know even though they are going all the way up and down they're still pulling mm. all the way with forearms so it's it's all it's also about that mind muscle connection, you know. That's true. Like yeah, like I I literally I just grab the bar and my lats are just whoosh, just just this perfect moving pattern. I cannot describe it. I I love how pull-ups feel because it's just like my I shift my scapulas a bit, you know, get a bit of an angle and then whoop all pull-ups, all lats, and it's an amazing feeling. But you need to learn this. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um. That's true, actually. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. But that's the other thing is that people who preach pure compounds um, will find eventually that one of their muscles will overtake if they do pure compounds and purely think about their numbers. And what happens at that point is that, you know, even though your biceps are doing the most they can during a pull-up, for example, if your biceps are not you know, leveraged to be able to, to be maximally contracted relative to your lats, Doing more pull-ups will make your imbalance worse. You'll have more overdeveloped lats and less developed biceps. Um, and and basically, what people say is, you know, no, no, just do loads of compounds. Focus on compounds and do you know do you like isolations? But that's not important. You know, the, the fact is that actually everyone has a different body, and everyone's um, muscles will contract differently during any compound movement. Uh, you might have a majority of the tension on your delts during an overhead press or maybe on your triceps or maybe your triceps will overtake and it will be like a pure tricep extension when you do an overhead press and it won't really hit your delts very much and this is why you need to really focus on what's being hit more and then focus on the thing which is going to be undeveloped if you only focus on the compounds now yeah it gets stronger but also balance that out with 
a lot of isolation, which is taken very, very seriously. Now, when I say isolations, everyone just thinks, oh yeah, you do 20 reps, you move it around and then you're done. No, no, like when I talk about an isolation, I'm talking about you fully contract that single muscle yeah. under the tension. And you do that until you go to failure and you, and you fully contract. And then you maybe even do a few more cheat reps afterwards if it's like a lateral raise or something. Yeah, you can do that. And, you yeah, do, and a lot you know, of the times that would be painful, man. That would be so painful. People yes. don't realize it. Like before you were saying that, and I think you still think about this like this, uh, that gym is not something hard. It's something, you know, fun. But it's, at some points when you're truly serious like that, man, it can be true pain. It can really be true pain, but this is the good pain, you know. Absolutely, agreed. It's um, it's it's completely different to the way that most people treat it, in my opinion. Um, you know, to, to to really focus on isolations. And yeah, the other thing with isolations is that people think that you have to do high reps with isolations. It depends mm -hmm. on the lift. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a, a lift which would be dangerous to do low reps with, for example, like a preacher curl, you do want to do higher reps with a preacher curl. Um, because you know there's a lot of stretch in there yes yeah. you want to increase the reps but we're still talking about 8 to 12 we're not talking about 25 reps and you no you don't need to do those 20 plus reps a lot of the time um unless you're you're going for a very specific type of you know stimulus um, but for example like an overhead tricep extension with a dumbbell that could be quite low reps you could do like five you know five to ten reps with that and get amazing stimulus like you know six to eight reps really good um there are other lifts you know which um which I think are really good for lower reps isolations. You know, like, uh, let me think, um, you know, like a strip curl, for example, a really good example. If you're standing against the wall and you do your strip curls, um, you can do low reps with that and you can, it can be a strength focused exercise for yeah. your biceps. Yeah. And as long as it is strict, you will grow your biceps from that very seriously. I got so, a great example know, as well with the tricep extension, like just being purely straight and then having to extend the weight. I find great uh, on lower reps, like five reps, great strength builder for triceps, just pushing the pure because you cannot really, yeah. you unless you lean, you cannot really use anything else but the triceps. Yeah, it's a pure, it's an isolation. That's really what you want to focus at. Mm -hmm. And if you come to the end of this, um, you know, after a few years and you, you look at the bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding focused trainer, you'll find that they have amazing tricep strength, they have amazing bicep strength, they have amazing delt strength, they have amazing chest strength, they have amazing lat strength, they have amazing rhomboid, uh, trap strength, you know, and, and what, you know, what's the, you know, you have, they have good leg strength because they've been doing leg exercises that are really focused on, on like strength development. And then if they want to start doing powerlifting, they'll be great at powerlifting because they just have to train their neurons to be able to fire in that way. But the powerlifter is not superior to that person because they move these weights. They'll both look good, by the way, but it's just about balance. And if you're a bodybuilder, you do want to focus more on the balance of your physique. And it is something that a natural can do because your arms just do not get developed if the only thing you care about is your bench press. And, you know, your arms will just look like trash. You'll look like a, um, I know the YouTuber Natural Hypertrophy talks about this. He talks about the spider physique where you have an overdeveloped trunk and no arms mm. and no legs. Because all you do is use your glutes, your chest, and your um, lower back. You know, it looks terrible to be honest. And you know, I, I think most people don't want to look like that. They want to, you know, put a t-shirt on and kind of fit it out, and they want to have nice arms. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a dishonorable thing. It's it's great because arms are extremely important in life. If you have weak arms, you're you're not going to be very functional. If you if you only even if you uh, even if you only care about functionality, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's my philosophy on training nowadays. It's um, I'm a bodybuilder. You know, 
uh, first. I'm, I'm not really focused on like powerlifting, but I take training extremely seriously. I'm training for like, you know, five, six, seven hours a week. If I, on the days that I don't train, I do work at home. Uh, I train at home because I've got dumbbells here. Like I do a lot of work. And um, I think most people who are like really focused on wanting to develop a physique, you know, if you really, really want to get the most you can get, then don't fall for the sort of minimalism trap. Um, exactly. You know, more work in the gym and more work in training will translate to more gains. It's not the case that you do less work and make more gains unless you're overtraining. And when this is a joke, most people are not overtraining. <laughs> you know, if you're you know, what you're doing is under eating or you're under sleeping exactly. or you're overeating crap, which is inflammatory for your body, you're not under you're not overtraining, you're just destroying your body and then or feeling you're also you're getting junk volume in. You know that's also important if 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 you are overtraining that's mostly the case of junk volume because you are not focusing on the muscle you're just doing reps and doing like 20 sets of reps uh, 20 sets uh, for arms every two days you know that is junk volume that's something that you can get overtrained on but other than that yeah. i completely agree yeah I would say that overtraining is much more likely for people who are doing powerlifting, where you're doing these massive systemic exercises for very low reps, for very large numbers of time, you know, very high frequency. Yeah. That's where you can get overtraining. But bodybuilders are not focused on damaging their joints and and, and like pushing their joints for as much as they possibly can. They're interested in you know, damaging their muscles um, chronically enough to increase chronic growth and chronic, you know, chronic over adaptation. That's what you want to do. So for a bodybuilder, I'm selecting exercises. As I said, sometimes I like machines more than I, you know, maybe I'll hit dumbbells. Um, you don't get these overuse injuries, but you also, um, you know, you also put your, you don't ever put your joints through a range of motion, which you know is going to like actually damage them because you don't want to damage your joints. You want to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the overtraining thing is much more an issue when you're overtraining specific exercises rather than specific movement patterns you know such as the the chest extension or the you know the uh you know sort of back extension it's all these things you know it's, it's actually much better if we're doing bodybuilding for joint health because you don't care you, you don't care about your numbers mm. you ultimately don't need to care about your numbers yeah so yeah that's uh that's my that's my philosophy on training uh, uh you know to, to put it short yeah and it's also the only times that i experienced um like overtraining symptoms is when my nervous system would crash when i would go so heavy when i was like i would do like five attempts at pr or something like that and then for a week straight i just couldn't perform like i would feel completely done burnt off but other than that yeah i never experienced true overtraining especially since i'm someone that's doing a lot of cardio nowadays like i'm doing a lot of cardio now like almost every day not not tons not like i'm getting completely wrecked but a lot of time but i'm also work training at the gym around six hours a week even though it is three times a week it's still two hours workouts it's still a, a lot of exercises and i'm fine i'm perfectly fine even though i'm cutting right now so it just goes to show your body is adapting number one at all times and if your recovery is on point you'll be fine man. you'll be fine yeah and go over training um over training is a lot like tanning it's the same thing mm. if you're um gonna you know if it's like late spring and you've not gone outside yet and it's a really sunny day and you go outside for an hour or two hours you're gonna get burned 
But if you spent early spring going outside, walking around, getting some sun on your skin every single day, or even just for five, 10 minutes, and then it's a really sunny day in late spring and you go outside, you, you won't get burnt. Even if you spend like four or five hours outside, you may be fine. Yeah. Unless then, the other thing is, unless you literally go to a desert and you completely fry your skin for hours, even yeah. if you had a base tank, you're not gonna be safe. So basically overtraining is the same. It's, it's the shock exposure to you know, insane amounts of um, work or volume or um, intensity that you were not prepared for. And, and, you know, tell me, can you, you know, if, if it, you don't get a sunny day in the gym, you choose how much work you do. You mm. choose, you know, you, you show up to the gym and decide how much you do. So if you're not going to go into the gym and literally terrify your joints into dying, you're going to be fine. You know, do what you know you can do. Push yourself a bit, but don't push yourself so much that you break something, you know, and you'll be completely fine. Um, and you can actually do this every day. Most people who are farmers, for example, that's, you know, like, you know, traditional farmers, they spend like 10 hours in the sun every day, 12 hours in the sun in the summer. And yeah, they wear their hat and they cover their skin up, but they didn't, they were completely fine. They're not getting burned. And that's because they are, you know, used to that amount of volume of, of UV radiation. It's, just, it's, it's even better with the gym because you're only training for a couple of hours most of the time. I train for like one one hour, one and a half hours max mm -hmm. a day. And, um, you know, I, I really focus on recovery. I'm never going to get overtrained if I keep doing this. I don't take deload weeks. I think the deload weeks are um, a powerlifting thing. They're not for bodybuilding. Um, if you want to increase the sensitivity of your muscles, then you need to take supplements and sleep better. But training um, more is always going to lead to more gains. I'm sorry, man. It's, you know, there's no easy way about this. If you want to make more gains, then you need to do more work. And there you go. Uh, that, yeah. that, that That's... Uh, I'd say that's probably everything for me uh, when it comes to training. There's more, we, can, we can go into more details about specific things, specific lifts and stuff like that. We were talking about that in that podcast with um, uh, for Corolla's Press. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, you know, otherwise, uh, otherwise on the philosophy of training, um, I think, uh, you know, we've both sort of discussed that fairly well. Yeah, yeah. I, I can just add on some things about, about my philosophy because it does it has yeah. changed as well. First of all, you can see how much I tend. Look, this is where the watch is. So I'm also tanning good, so I'm also um, progressing well. But it's funny because you can see how much I'm in the gym by my tan because it's outside. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> no, but um, my philosophy, and this is recent, is that yeah, I actually have started taking also seriously my arms and stuff like that. Uh, because yeah, it was also for me, okay, I'm doing the press, I'm doing the pull motion, arms are just there. You know, I'll just go through them. But the first time that I actually started focusing on arms was when I was pursuing the 100 kilo push press because I needed that lockout strength. So triceps yeah. became extremely important. The isolation, the school crushers, you know, the all of these things became extremely important. So I focused on that. And only recently, you know, it, even by just by talking to you, I realized, yeah, my biceps also need that love. You know, they need that care to get a balanced physique. But for me, my philosophy is more about, I'm also very, um, I'm more, more, little bit more strength based than you in terms of, yeah. you know, I do heavier reps. I like three reps. I like five reps. I even go for one rep maxes. And I enjoy the feeling, you know, I enjoy lifting heavy. That's my own, my thing, you know, that's how I get my mental health in check. <laughs> and, uh, but other than that, I, you train the split, I train full body. I train now three times a week full body split 
and before I was having a similar thing as you where I would do intensity and volume in the same session so intensity maybe six eight reps for few first few exercises and then go higher on the next ones but still the same you know uh, power in everything but nowadays I have an intensity day where I do almost every lift heavy and this is what we were talking mm. about even the tricep even the bicep I'm going heavy because the if you're gonna go with studies the latest studies show that everything between 5 to even 30 reps and you go above failure or next to failure you are going to grow you're going to reproduce uh, uh, signal your body to grow so this is something that I recently learned but this is how I've been training so yeah for example I will do a heavy press movement I will do a secondary press just and that is usually for my chest just so it stays because I'm all about shoulders because you and I are similar in this sense that we have clavicles that are not, uh, not that as wide and my and I like getting shoulders because it makes me look normal relatively but um, yeah so that's always my main press and this is why and it's very simple why is it my main press well the first exercise is usually your most powerful exercise you know you have the most energy and you can focus the most so for me if I want to build bigger shoulders that's where I will fatigue myself the most that's my first exercise if i'm in next cycles when i want to increase my chest the chest will be the first exercise you know and just just with this simple switch it will grow more this is what i found you know um other than that yeah i'm also focused on pull-ups now um i'm trying to increase my strength there uh, just because it's something that has been a weakness of mine all of this time this is all something that changed in my two years since we recorded. I not, I haven't focused on my weaknesses. I just focus on my strengths, you know. And that's how you get an uh, unbalanced physique. So doing a lot of arms now, chest is I don't care about it that much. So I'm just maintaining it. But a lot of arms, a lot of these movements that I'm bad at, you know, pull-ups. For for three years, or even four years of my training journey, all I did was like five reps of pull-ups. That's it. That's all I could do. That's what I stick to it, you know. And only now am I doing weighted more, you know, I'm getting about 10 reps, stuff like that, which I'm very proud of because it was always hard for me. So that's amazing. And I mean, I touched upon my philosophy a little bit with the things that I uh, talked to you about, you know, just rotating the moments, uh, being, uh, being, because it's healthy for your joints, because it's healthy for your body, you know, so it doesn't get used to it training everything training on every rep scheme because muscles you know the type of fibers and stuff like that respond differently and yeah just splitting it like monday monday uh, wednesday friday right so just that two days rest but in between that uh i have cardio obviously i do a lot of uh, cardio yeah. nowadays and you can do it and i think we will we'll stop the recording now and i'll just talk a bit about that and um, but yeah cardio you can absolutely do it even though you're lifting heavy even though you're progressing you just need to be very smart about it and you know you need to know your body but let me end the recording here so about cardio for me um, it is first of all all about adaptability you need to go slowly and you need to start slowly changing uh, your training in terms of that maybe you start going for runs it's just five minutes runs then it's seven minutes, ten minutes, because your body is adaptable. Your body is meant to do cardio activity, and it's obviously very healthy. So just about adaptability, but also about when you do it. 
because honestly look at this so you would assume if i train monday wednesday friday that i train uh, tuesday uh, and uh, thursdays cardio and stuff like that not true i do cardios on a day that i'm lifting weights because i want to maximize my recovery on those rest days and this is key uh, I would rather be completely dead one day and then rest then constantly fatigue my body and after a while I would get slowly overtrained. you know it's hard but I would slowly lose performance so for me it is some people like to train cardio in the morning you know because it's like uh, fasted or something no, no, no lifting weights is priority and then afternoon I can do whatever I want I can do running I can do rowing I can do sparring it will not it will affect me but again tomorrow i am better another thing is depending on the day that i do uh, that i do the cardio it's a specific um, if i am lifting heavy i will also do a different type of cardio if i'm lifting lighter i will do different type of cardio this is also very interesting because a lot of people just assume oh, you do cardio you do cardio no no for example if i'm if i'm having today is a light day which means i'm moderate on intensity and on volume it's not like on both not one extreme that means that i will also do a moderate cardio so maybe it will be a lower pace uh, rowing it will be rowing it will still be fatiguing but on a lower pace you know when i'm doing a volume day i might go for a run i might go around running quicker and when i'm doing intensity days i might do something that power leaders would call gpp i might do some rocking i might do some carries stuff like that working my conditioning but adjusting it to the type of fatigue that i'm experiencing see how it works see how you can be very smart about it be very fit and and uh, kind of improve yourself in both spectrums no it's just about resting it's just about managing and now i'm going to train mma soon uh, when i end my cut and you know what i'm going to do because this that will be much more taxing i will switch to weights two times a week I will still make progress, I will just do more, the total volume of the week will slightly be less, but it doesn't matter, mm. because I will still have recovery, I will still have everything that I want, and I will maintain a lean look, so it, it is all about being smart about it, and very, very specific to your to yourself, and we can get into later if you want about how cardio can actually improve your weightlifting performance. Yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, my um, my approach to cardio is uh, basically uh, a lot of walking. I, I, I'm blessed to live in an area of the world which is extremely hilly. So you can just, uh, at 90 kilos, 95, well, I'm, you know, in the last year, I've been between 95 and 103 kilos. So the fact that I'm very tall as well means that I've managed to stay very lean at that weight. But walking up a hill is like a 70 kilo person rocking with 30 kilos, right? Um, it, it kind of works like that. Um, so I'll do a bit of rocking as well. Like, I, you know, for example, yesterday I did some rocking. Um, but what I try and do is walk up, um, walk a lot and walk quickly as well. So mm. my form of cardio is that. When I, I can actually run really effectively. So um, I've got good, you know, good legs for running. So if I start running, you know, if, for example, if I need to get a train or something and I'm late <laughs> for it or a bus, you know, I'll run and uh, I'm completely fine, you know, completely fine running. So. My, my, my actual base form of uh, cardio is, is actually just walking up things very quickly. Uh, I walk up hills all the time, but I don't do any like dedicated uh, forms of cardio. I do things like rocking as well. Um, 
personally, I just don't have the patience. You know, one of the reasons I never really got into fitness as a younger person is because I just don't have patience to like to ca- do cardio. Like, I can do it for a short period of time, but I do not have the attention span to sit there for thirty minutes and do any form of cardio or stand for for thirty minutes and mm. run for thirty minutes. I just cannot motivate myself to do it. I've got into phases where I did more running, and I got you know I got a um, twenty-three minute five k the first time I ever did it, which I've never done a five k before. Yeah. And I got twenty-three minutes. That shows how good run. you are, how naturally good you are at it. Yeah, I probably could have got very good if I'd really taken it seriously. But for running, I, because I've always been like I can't get below eighty-eight kilos before I start actually seriously losing muscle mass. Um, I just can't get light enough um, to. True. good at running yep. you have to lose a lot of weight to, to be a runner and um, before i started lifting when i was completely diced you know like completely anorexia pilled not anorexic but like you know i looked anorexic like mm-hmm. so skinny i was 80 kilos Holy, right? so oh my god that was before i even began training um that is the absolute lightest i can physically get before i stop like being functional if i got to 70 i would look like skin and bone because i'm six foot seven right i, I just the, the the scales are completely different to for me and someone else who might actually look massive at 80 kilos uh i just can't do that and it's always affected my pull-ups and calisthenics in yeah. a, but at the same time i don't know what unweighted things like that feel like you would probably be like a stage ready at 85 kilo like if you were to cut down yeah. well yeah in 2020 when i got completely sh- completely shredded like you could see every vein in my body um that was when i started the account and i was completely shredded like mm. no fat in my body i was uh 86 kilograms uh i don't know what that is in pounds that was my leanest i could physically get and right now i'm 95 and i'm very lean um i would say if i got to 93 right now i would be shredded so i probably put on about five or six kilos of pure muscle mass in three years um but it's very targeted muscle mass so it's been very very i've been i look way bigger than i did three years ago especially as i said with the arms the chest the back Mm. i mean the whole the whole package has definitely increased uh, on my upper body which has been a big focus for me in the last few years um but yeah uh you know if i were to get absolutely shredded i'd be around there but I'm not going to do that. I'm 95 right now. Um, I'm very lean. I'm probably going to maybe get, well, I'm actually more like 96. I'm probably going to get to like 90, 95, maybe just under 95. And then I'll be happy with where I'm at because uh, I don't want to start affecting my hormones. And I also want to maintain this for most of summer. Thankfully, my my strength is perfectly maintained. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like that, that's kind of where it is for me. Like, you know, the 90s is actually lean. The low 90s is lean. So just doing any basic form of cardio which involves my weight is uh very intense even if it's just climbing up a hill i'll just do that very quickly and i'm very good at climbing up hills fast like I, i've always been really good at that so uh some people might not consider that cardio because if they did it it would not be cardio they'd have to run but i think i, I prefer closed chain movements where i'm not smashing against something and um, when i'm I'm doing got, a form of cardio because yeah. that can do a lot of my weight. It goes cut off so, for yeah. a moment, but I think that it. Uh, yeah, it, it damaged so, my, uh, yeah. damage my bones. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And um, <laughs> I never thought about it like that because I'm I'm 94 kilo, 
and I also live in a very hilly area, you know, everything's up and down, and I never thought about it as a cardio, but I guess it's true, and uh, like I make, I do like uh, 15,000 steps average nowadays, so it's a lot of walking, honestly, but mm. I still, I, I have a shitty metabolism, man, I, I my family is just uh, bad genes, I guess, because even though I do all of these things, I still have to eat low calories. I have now I'm around 2400 with 15k steps and cardio. And I'm not lean. So it is what it is that you, you so you, you win some you lose some, you know. But still yeah, yeah. I am going so I started from 99 kilo. This is the weight I got up to and I was about fat uh, as the same time uh, same fatness level as I was in 2021. Um, but I had 96 kilo. So I gained three three kilo of muscle. I'm sure in these two years, pure muscle, which is amazing. And uh, so I'm the, the when I got lean, I was around 85 kilo. That was my lean, and I probably could have went to 80. That would be shredded, but I was lean yeah. at 85. Uh, I'm thinking I, w- I will go now to 90 kilos, and that's it. I will not be shredded. But I will not have anything that I can grab, pretty much. I will not have a fat that I can grab. And that is enough for me. Um, because I honestly feel I experience different... I guess because of the amount of calories that I have to eat when I'm lean, I just don't feel good. I don't no. feel... I don't perform good. I'm not... Um, and my sex drive is not there even. And that is not at shredded level. I guess I'm just built that way. So I guess staying around 90 kilo and then going up to 95 in the next book will be enough and I will just keep losing those five kilos until I reach like 95 I think 95 lean not lean but not fat I think Mm. I will will look uh, my best honestly yeah so I started lifting as I said at 80 in the first year I got to 104 by the next August all right so I gained 24 kilograms in a year and at that point when I was 104 I was uh, I was kind of fat actually if I'm honest then the next august i was 86 kilos um and then after that getting from 86 i went up to 102 then in 2021 i got down to about 95 96 94 kilos and then in late 2021 i got back up to 104 or so then in last year 2022 i got down to 96 kilos then went back up to 102 kilos so what I've been doing in the last four years is going up to just over 100 kilos and then cutting down to the mid 90s or slightly lower. But each time just gaining a bit more muscle mass and losing a bit more fat at the top. My plan here is I don't want to get fat, but I do want to be very lean at 100 kilos. And then what I want to do is my plan is I'm going to start breaking up into the 105, 110 sort of range <laughs> um, whilst still being reasonably like having abs. Um, and I didn't want to, because it's very, I, I'm sure there are some taller listeners who will in, maybe appreciate listening to this because it's it's a different game for people who are very tall. That sounds massive, like 100, 105, 110 kilos, but it, it's not, especially when you've actually gained a bit of muscle mass. It's really not. It, it actually, you have to start getting used to being in the hundreds, just living like that to be able to actually start gaining serious muscle mass. Yeah. And, and But the problem is, obviously, 
you can gain a lot of fat. So I've been very careful about it. I don't want to just break past that and bulk through to the like point at which I'm fat. Yeah, I really don't want to do that because it can damage your metabolism over the long period and it can also damage your health. So my plan is now this year, you know, I'll finish the bulk at around, um, sorry, the cut at around 95, as I said, maybe just below. Then I will slowly lean bulk up to 105, maybe 107. Um, which is quite a lot of weight, but I'm going to do it slowly and I may actually see how I feel next spring and then make a decision about how much I cut. Um, but I should, if I do this properly and manage it very well, I should put on a lot of lean mass. I'm going to bulk very intelligently. I'm going to eat more meals and I'm also going to, mm, um, you know, just, just be quite intelligent about how I bulk. I actually take it quite seriously, like a, like almost a, you know, professional bodybuilder because I well, that's what I plan as well. I plan to this. This will be the first bulk that I take seriously, not just eat. You know, not, not just eat more, but actually measurable, like two, three hundred calories just above the maintenance. You know, eating more, like you said, because to have more of the anabolic signals in your body to grow constantly. You know, to have um, amino acids in your bloodstream all the time. This is because I completely stopped believing in the limit of how much you can build. Look at these elite naturals that we see in our community. They completely mm. changed their physiques in the few years just because they start training properly. They completely yeah. finally understood how it works and boom, five kilo of muscle in few years. That should be impossible because they reached their limit. Bullshit. So I am also looking forward to bulking. I think that this is a great time and we both of us kind of came to understanding of our bodies, of nutrition. I think we will look insane. I think that this podcast and the, if we do another one in a year or something, I think people will actually realize that we were speaking the truth, you know, that we were living it and we, we made serious results. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just starting a new program um, this week, which I've designed for myself, um, which is very, very intense. But it's going to be one of those programs I can take. And my plan is to really, really start putting some gains on in, you know, in the next, um, you know, in the next sort of, uh, in the next year, two years, three years, I really want to start taking it, like, you know, I've taken it seriously for a long time, but now I know what I'm doing. So, you know, same. it's all yeah. work smarter and harder at the same time. So, yep. yeah, I really want to, really want to make some serious gains. And, uh, yeah, this genetic limit thing is, is not true. Um, it's not, it's not real. Uh, there's no genetic limit. The only limit, you know, the, the only limit you have is when you believe there's a genetic limit and you mm. sort of think you've reached it. I think a lot of people who are, come from a powerlifting background as well, they believe in the genetic limit because they have a genetic limit on their strength, which they couldn't mm. really break. And then what they think is, oh, I can bench four plates, um, but my chest isn't that big. So, you know, genetically, like yeah. I, I was just never to have a big chest. Yeah. The problem is that's, that's actually an infection from the powerlifting community in bodybuilding that makes you think, well, you know, if you get a big bench, then your chest must be big. My big, my bench is big, but my chest isn't big. Therefore, um, I have a genetic limit which doesn't allow me to have a big chest. That is a really bad bit of logic because it may just be the case that your delts overtake on your bench. Maybe your back overtakes on the bench. Maybe you're actually using your lats a lot more. To That's possible, bench. yeah. Maybe your tricep dominant, um, and then you're taking this lift way too seriously. That a whole bunch of 
different types of bodies have tried and got different results on, you know, you don't know what you can get. So you've got to try different lifts. You've got to try different exercises, see what you connect with. You've got to try moving the weight under, you know, as I said earlier, under a different tempo, really you know, try and contract your muscles rather than to move the weight from A to B. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then start seeing what happens, you know, especially if you start taking the volume up a little bit, um, increasing the rep range. Uh, in, you know, and also increasing the frequency uh, using different exercises. That's really when you start seeing you know, differences in, in, in your physique. That's that's completely different. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, man. I think if because like we said, we could talk about this for a long time. I think that I guess both of you and I are qualified enough to give good information, like uh, in terms of basics for someone. So if we will not do that now, but if you guys listening to this, want Thomas and I to make a separate thing, maybe it can be also a podcast format, to give you a straight up information like everything we know about, okay, this uh, this sets for this, these are great exercises, you can, and then you can program it yourself. I'm sure that you and I will both be, both be up for it, you know, just to make this basic guide for our guys to get jacked, you know, because a lot of these things we talk about are kind of hard to put together if someone is new to this. You need to have experience kind of to understand yeah, what you're talking is, about i would say this isn't an intermediate to advanced level yeah. discussion about lifting like um if you're a novice and you're not really serious about the gym and you're listening to this still like uh <laughs> you know do try and get stronger do focus on the squat bench and deadlift. it's not a bad thing mm -hmm. see how your body reacts try different lifts um sure but you know yeah you're not going to just get bigger by doing like lateral raises necessarily you need, you do need to take other things seriously and we both built our bases off of you know standard exercises so, exactly yeah but um yeah you're right i would absolutely be up for having a like a d dedicated conversation towards sp the specifics of programming and how we sort of do it because i think that um we've both made a lot of different decisions it might be nice to compare how we uh, react to certain things and exactly. also um and also, you know, there's a lot of bits of advice which we probably disagree with, which are conventional pieces of advice for other people. If you go on YouTube, you will just find certain rules which you don't necessarily need to follow or maybe you're actually detrimental to yeah. people's progress. I definitely agree with that. I, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes in my first few years of lifting. As, as I said, I was way too addicted to the conventional exercises. I thought that my arms would grow if I just got a bigger bench. I did get a bigger mm -hmm. bench. My bench is similar to what it was in like two, three years ago. But... Uh, my triceps and my chest are far bigger than yeah. them. My, exactly. my, my did not change the size of my arms. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that kind of stuff people don't realize. But um, it's because, you know, I, I probably could bench more if I learned the form that I used to do. But the form I do now is bodybuilding form. Mm. I, I don't use any leg drive. I take it all the way down to my upper chest, the barber, all the way down to my upper chest. I stretch my pecs at the bottom and then I fully contract the chest and the weight up um, to a lockout and then do, you know, do that at a constant pace so that I'm not pausing at the top. Like, you know, I'm not using breath to explode. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm using breath to keep stability and I'm taking my shoulders back and arching very slightly, but it's a very moderate arch to prevent my shoulders from getting yeah. damaged. You know, this is completely so bodybuilding form bench press versus powerlifting form bench press, you know, is what I do nowadays. And, um, you know, that, that means that I'll technically be weaker um, in that position. But if I am doing the same weights, then I'm stronger. And I'm also not really caring mm. about strength that much either. It's about reps. It's about workload. It's about quality, that, that kind of, you know, those kinds of principles and stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. For example, I do both forms in my training. That's how I train. Because if I train on the heavier days, you know, for three and five reps, 
I will do the powerlifting form and I got it down pretty good, you know, being stable, stuff like that. But okay, for example, if I'm doing 10 reps, 12 reps, it's just a shift in my mind. Okay, grab the bar a little bit wider, relax my legs and then even relax my scapula, literally. Full range of motion and I get great pump. So you can do both and you can be great at both, you know. Uh, but yeah, man, maybe we do it for the Nature Chat Warrior group. <laughs> for the special for the special guests, but we'll see. Um, I think we talked about a lot of things, but I think that we can get the great points to people for listening, for training that, yeah, don't be a minimalism, minimalist, train everything and uh, target your weaknesses. Train around yeah. what you think that you are bad at. There's a way, you just need to find what works for you and just keep getting stronger at everything. Everything is important. There's no thing in extra that you just do because you do it. You do it for a specific goal that you are planned, you planned for it, you programmed it, and you want to get stronger at it. That's it. Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, you can be a you can be a minimalist if you want to have a mediocre set of results. That's basically how it is. If you want to be mediocre, um, then you should train in a mediocre way with mediocre effort. That's um the problem with minimalism a lot of the time is you know, yeah, you can get results from it. But, you know, if you want to get the most results you possibly can, and we're not just talking about 2% extra, we're talking about, you know, 20, 30, 40% yep. extra you know, results, then you need to put in 40, 50, 60% extra work. That's just how it is. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's I'd, I'd say that's that's a good way to round off a lot of our training principles and also, you know, uh, some of our approaches to, to lifting. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you, man. Two episodes down. <laughs> two days but it was definitely worth it <laughs> it's been a marathon it's been a yeah. marathon man yeah but it's because we can do this all every day pretty much but it's easy but no uh yeah man thank you thank you for coming on obviously you are someone that i hope to have in the future in many more episodes and it's always a pleasure to talk to you you know for me personally because i always learn a lot and i'm sure that the audience also will appreciate it but yeah i mean you know where you can find Thomas, but still, let people know where they can find you, what are you doing lately and stuff like the death. Yeah, Letters from the Ruins, I've been posting a lot of good stories recently. Occasionally posting on the uh, on the account, but... Yeah, on the April 1st only, yeah, only trolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am enjoying trolling, but we do a little trolling, but you know, the, uh, the stories I've been putting out are informational, you need to be catching them to, uh, yeah. you know. To, to get the value out of my account right now but yeah follow me anyway i'm always uh you, know, you can dm me yeah yeah well that's it and uh, yeah thank you man see you later i guess <laughs> yes man it's good to record absolutely